What's going on, everybody? This is Brian from the Herfcast here. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, tonight's episode has pretty much absolutely nothing to do with cigars. But with that being said, I think it's a, a really good episode for everyone to listen to, um, especially if you are interested in race relations and topics of that such. Uh, tonight, I've got Daryl Davis joining me via um, video chat. And I've got in studio with me Coffee Black. You'll remember him from past episodes. Uh, we also did a race relations episode that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. And this episode kind of, you know, goes right, well, not kind of, it definitely goes right along with that. Uh, if you haven't heard of Daryl Davis before, he's an author and a musician. He's got a book out called Clandestine Relationships. That's clandestine with a K. And it's about how he has gotten 200 plus members of the KKK to uh, quit and denounce the KKK and, you know, change their ideas and their beliefs. Uh, he's a fascinating dude. Uh, he's a musician who's played with, you know, some of the all-time greats, uh, Eric Clapton, Chuck Berry, uh, politics aside, Bill Clinton, um, and many others. Uh, there was a documentary done about him called Accidental Courtesy. Uh, you could check that out. He was on the Dan Levitard show on ESPN Miami. And, you know, just a fascinating dude. We had a great conversation. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. Uh, a couple of couple of things were put into perspective. And I hope you guys enjoy this. And, you know, Coffee Black, again, he was in a movie called Disconnected by Killing the Arts. So look up uh, Killing the Arts, Disconnected. Uh, check that out. And, you know, let us know what you think. And definitely let me know what you think about this episode. Uh, send me an email. Brian at theherfcast.com. Check out the website, theherfcast.com. And I've got shirts. I've got a Patreon. If you want to support me on Patreon, that's amazing. There's different levels, different perks. Um, but again, hopefully you enjoy the episode. Hope you learned something. Uh, and hopefully you just find it informative. I had a great time. Me and Coffee smoked uh, a couple of Master Blend 3s. And then I had a JSK Red Knight Lonsdale. And we were drinking um the wild turkey long branch so that's about as uh much cigar information you're going to get out of this show so uh again i hope you enjoy thank you for listening officially thank you for joining us on the Herfcast. uh we are we are joined today with uh by by daryl davis and for those of you that don't know i'm going to give a short description uh daryl uh how how i heard about him was Somebody on Joe Rogan mentioned his name and mentioned that you were able to get over 200 KKK members to leave the KKK and just completely denounce it just by uh, basically just by befriending these people. And um, I believe your book is called uh, Why Would You Hate Me If You Don't Know Me? No, that, that was my question. I would ask them. Uh, the name of the book is called Clandestine Relationships. Uh, clandestine spelled with a K, not a C. Okay, so I'm I'm going to be you know completely honest here. Uh, I did not like I I looked up like uh, basically your Wikipedia. I listened to a little bit of your music, um, and that's about it. That's all the research I did on you because when I hear about somebody who intrigues me, um, I try to. I try to know, it, it may sound bad, but I try to know as little as possible about the person 
if I'm going to be having a long form discussion with them because I want to hear it for the first time uh, while I'm getting to know them. Uh, I do the same thing with, um, you know, like if I'm going to see a comedian that I don't know, I won't watch any of their standup or anything. Uh, I try not to watch any trailers for movies that I'm going to see. Um, but again, a uh, short, short, short list of what I know about you is uh, you've played music with some pretty impressive people. Uh, you had a documentary done about you. So if you want to give a brief rundown of uh, all these things, that would be awesome. Uh, sure. Well, I'm 61 years of age, born in Chicago, but I've traveled all over the world. I've been in 56 different countries on six continents, starting as a child at the age of three and uh, with my parents who were in the U.S. Foreign Service. So I grew up as an American embassy brat. Uh, today, I'm a professional musician, graduated from Howard University with my degree in music, and I perform all over this country and around the world. So ha- having done all that travel, I've been exposed to literally hundreds of different cultures, ethnicities, traditions, uh, religions, etc. And all of that exposure has helped shape my perspectives and who I've become today. And in meeting people from all over the world, what I found out at the end of the day is we all are human beings. And I've managed to get along with people all over the world. So I question, why can't my fellow countrymen get along with each other in our own country? And that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I definitely, I, you know, like I said, as soon as I heard your name mentioned and what you've done, um, you know, I wanted to reach out and just talk. Um, I'm sure you probably haven't heard it, but, uh, you know, my listeners have, me and Coffee have done a race relations episode on here uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed. I definitely learned a lot. And, you know, people like you just intrigue me. And I want to get to know and learn as much as I can. So, well, we both will learn together. I like the sound of that. What's got to be your your favorite experience overall uh, with everything that you've done? Uh, seeing people people's light bulbs pop on when they realize that uh, their way of thinking may not have been um, proper. And, they, and they, they see the light and they change. And then they come out and renounce their former ideology. So with that being said, like, do you, do you stay in contact with a lot of these people? Or is it after, uh, like, do, do, does pretty much everybody just kind of go about their separate well, ways and kind of live their life in a better way? No, no, no. You, you know, you mentioned at the beginning... Uh, that I befriend people. Uh, This is correct. And I'll tell you, once you become friends with me, we are friends for life. Unless, you know, know, unless I do you wrong or you do me wrong or something like that, you got a friend for life. So, uh, yes, I do stay in contact with these people. That's amazing. Uh, Daryl, this is uh, Coffee Black here. Uh, The the first time I had heard about you, uh, you were uh, being interviewed on the... uh, Dan Levertard uh, uh, show uh, ESPN Miami. Uh, I was incredibly enthralled with your story. I I thought it was immensely uh, beautiful and intriguing. Uh, could you elaborate on um, what it's like uh, or what's your approach 
and uh, when you meet an individual, um, you know, with that mindset, um, with that mentality, like how does that how does that happen? Is it is it organically? You go to the deep south in Mississippi, or I mean, we're in Indiana, you know, where the the KKK was born. Right. So, well, I wasn't born there, but yeah. Indiana. I was born in Pulaski, Tennessee, in eighteen fifty-five. But uh, overall, Indiana throughout the throughout history has had in the past the largest population of uh, Klan members ever in this country, and that was back in the uh, late twenties and thirties. Um, but uh, you know, in a sense, subsided. But yes, there is still a lot of uh, of uh, remnant. Um, mentality there, and uh, and a lot of uh, uh, descendants of clan people there, and 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 some and some very current white supremacists still live in Indiana, around mm-hmm. the Warsaw area, and other places. Uh, I know some of those people as well. But uh, to answer your question, um, it started out organically, and then uh, I would go in search of. Uh, for example, uh, one of the times when I when I had come home from overseas. Uh, it was 1968. I was age 10, and uh, we we moved to a town called Belmont, Massachusetts. You know, for a few months before going back overseas. I was in the fourth grade, and I was in a school in which I was one of two black kids in the entire school. Uh, myself in the fourth grade, a little girl in the second grade. So consequently, all of my friends in that area were white, and many of my guy friends uh, invited me to join the Cub Scouts because they were scouts. So I joined, and everything was cool. Everything was good. I was treated very well. And we had a parade from Lexington to Concord, Massachusetts, to commemorate the ride of uh, Paul Revere. And my den mother let me carry the American flag. And I was marching. I was the only black scout participating in this parade. And people were cheering us and, you know, waving flags and smiling and yelling the British are coming and all that kind of thing. And somewhere down the parade route, suddenly... I was getting pelted by uh, bottles and soda pop cans and debris from the street by just a small group of uh, white spectators that were mixed in with the larger crowd. And having had no precedent, you know, for this kind of treatment, uh, I didn't know what was going on. And I thought I had done something or those people over there on the sidewalk, you know, did not like the scouts. I didn't understand it. Uh, and, And I didn't realize that I was the only scout, you know, being targeted until my den mother, my cub master, and a troop leader came rushing over and huddled over me with their bodies and escorted me out of the danger. And I kept asking, well, why are they doing this to me? Why are they hurting me? I, I didn't do anything. And they kept, you know, rushing me along saying everything will be okay. They never gave me a reason. And mm-hmm. so at age 10, I began placating my curiosity by thinking, okay, you know, maybe they're testing me out because I'm the new kid on the block or whatever. I had every excuse for the right excuse. When I got home, my parents, uh, who were not there at the parade, were asking me, how did I fall down and get all scratched up? And I told them I didn't fall down. I told them, you know, I I had gotten hit by bottles and soda pop cans. And it was them who sat me down and explained to me what racism was. And I had no clue whatsoever. Believe it or not, at the age of 10, I had never heard the word racism. I had no reason. You know, I, I, yeah. I grew up in a very diverse world uh, overseas. And uh, so it was, it was an anomaly to me. I had no idea what they're talking about. Um, so I developed a question in my mind at that age was, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And now for the next 50 years, 
I've been looking for the answer. Uh, as, a, as an adolescent, as, an, as a young adult, I began buying every book I could find on black supremacy, white supremacy, uh, the Nazis in Germany, the neo-Nazis over here, anti-Semitism, the Ku Klux Klan, looking for answers as to how somebody with a certain skin color could detest someone of another skin color. None of my books answered that question. And mm -hmm. so uh, later on, I figured out, well, who, who better to ask to get the answer than to ask someone who would go so far as to join a group that has over a hundred year history of practicing hating people who do not look like them and who do not believe as they believe. So why not ask uh, somebody in the Klan? And so that's what started that mission. I had met a, uh, a Klansman, uh, as Coffee Pointer uh, asked if it was uh, organic or not. I had met one in a bar one night. As I said, I'm a professional musician. I was right. playing in a bar, and after the first set of music with the band, um, a white guy came up to me and put his arm around my shoulder and said how much he enjoyed the music. And uh, I thanked him, shook his hand, and then he said to me that this was the first time he'd ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, I wasn't offended, but I was kind of surprised that this guy who appeared to be maybe 15 or so years older than me did not know the black origin of Jerry Lee Lewis's style of, of uh, piano playing. And I said to him, I said, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play? He says, what are you talking about? I said, well, Jerry Lee got that style from black, blues and boogie woogie piano players that's mm -hmm. where rock and roll rockabilly came from yeah. oh no 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 jerry lee invented that well we argued back and forth i told the master look man <laughs> i know jerry lee lewis jerry lee lewis is a very close and good friend of mine he's told me himself we learn how to play the guy didn't believe me he didn't buy it he didn't buy that jerry lee learned anything from black people but he was fascinated and wanted to buy me a drink now i don't drink but i went back to his table and had a cranberry juice mm -hmm. and he cheered me and I said, you know, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And now I'm intrigued. Like, you yeah. know, what's going on here? How can this be? Because in, 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 my, in my life, I had sat down literally with thousands of white people or anybody else and had a meal, a beverage, a conversation. Here this guy was, you know, a decade and a half older than me. He never sat down with a black guy. So I kept asking him why. And then he said, plain as day. I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And I started laughing because I did wow. not believe him. I thought he was jerking me around. Mm -hmm. And he went inside his pocket and uh, pulled out his wallet and produced his uh, Klan membership card and handed it to me. And I, took it, I took it in my hands. I looked at it. And I instantly recognized the uh, Ku Klux Klan insignia, which is a red circle with a white cross and a blood drop in the center of the cross. And I realized, whoa, you know, this thing is for real. So I stopped laughing. And I handed it back to him, and and we began a conversation, and we became very good friends. So, like starters, excuse my ignorance, but that's the first I've never known that they they actually had cards. I was going to say I was going to crack cards. a joke about that, but I yeah I was I was I wanted him to finish. That's crazy. Yeah, I did not know they were actually like card carrying members. Yeah. Card carrying member of the KKK. That's that's insanity. So. Now, how did you? I what what was it like? Because uh, you've you've gone to Klan rallies and whatnot. Uh, what what was it like to go to your first Klan rally? Like, I mean, 
how that that intrigues me like how the hell did that go <laughs> okay well let let me let me just you know say a little bit more about my background um and this this does not make me better than anybody else i, I don't want to come across like that because i'm i'm no better than anybody else but perhaps i've had uh a lot broader travel experience than most people most most americans and um so because as as a young person uh, i had been exposed to many many different cultures i've seen uh brian i've seen and coffee i've seen a a ton of different rituals i lived in africa for 10 years i lived in europe i i've seen things that you would never see in this country and i and i i could tell you things that you wouldn't even believe okay but i i've witnessed them with my own eyes so when you know when you've seen and been exposed to so many different rituals going to a clan rally to me it was just oh here goes you know another ritual here we go i so think like i that. could see that yeah exactly so but I, but I will say this had i grown up here in my own country the united states all my life um and and never had that outside exposure would i be doing this today probably not and i'll tell you one of my very favorite quotes of all time is by mark twain you know the author mm -hmm. and it's called the travel quote and mark twain said travel is fatal to prejudice bigotry and narrow-mindedness and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts broad wholesome charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime and that is so true so you know that is probably what what desensitized me uh to to having fear at a lot of these things i realized yes i could be in danger i realized that everybody standing around me you know detests me and all that and they're wearing bizarre you know robes and hoods and and they're burning these big crosses but again it was just another ritual for me you know that's that's a you know, it, it, it sounds like a crazy perspective to have on that. But, you know, like you said, when you've done the travels and right. everything that you've experienced, you know, that's, that's a whole other perspective on it that, you know, like well, most people, I guess, just don't see. It. I definitely didn't see it that way. But once you said that, it made complete sense. Uh -huh. so, but. so, okay, you, you, you pull up, um, you find out. Uh, where the KKK rally is at, you pull up the reaction of you being there. Um, I guess I, I would have to ask somebody that was there when they saw you, but like you said, you didn't, you didn't feel any fear um, based off of your background. Could you feel the energy that they were giving off towards you? What oh, was, absolutely. What was, what was that energy like? What, was it intense? Could uh, you feel it? Like internally, yeah, was it intense? Definitely feel it. No, no question about it. Um, now, let me explain something to you. There are two kinds of rallies, all right? There are public rallies and there are private rallies. A okay. private rally is held on private property or, or they have, they have uh, secured a, a public property for their own use and, and, and only, you know, you know, like, for example, uh, you know, you might rent a portion of a park for your family reunion. Right. So nobody else can come in there, okay? So mm -hmm. those are private events. Uh, in order for me to go to a private event, the Grand Dragon or the Imperial Wizard uh, would, would have to invite me. 
And, okay. and those are leader. A grand dragon means state leader. Imperial wizard means national leader. Okay, so if either one of them invites me to their rally, to their private rally, everybody there must respect uh, their commander and not give me any crap or whatever. So I, you know, I can come on there. I walk out amongst them or whatever. Uh, you know, they, you know, they, they don't bother me. Uh, yes, you can feel the energy of those who don't want you there and they hate you just to look at you, et cetera, but they're not going to do anything, you know, that is not sanctioned by their chain of command. Um, now, if you go to, if you go to a public rally, uh, or if it's on, if it's on public property, anybody can go. And that's when you have all the protesters, you know, you know, uh, show up and then the police show up and the police right. line in between the clan and the counter protesters yeah, and the, then people start throwing bottles and rocks, you know, the, and you parade, gotta, the parades and the marches. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, I've been to both. And, um, you know, when, when I'm invited, I am, you know, protected. That's, that's really interesting. And it's, it, it's crazy to think, uh, you know, that, that, that's gotta be just an intense experience. Like, I mean, I, I could say that I've, I've never attended either, and, um, you know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to just attend, let alone attending as a black man. Well, it's definitely a different, a different experience. If you want me to arrange a, uh, a, a, a rally visit for you one day, I'll certainly do that. I, I don't know. I, I guess I may, maybe to, maybe to experience it, but I, I don't know that, that that's kind of that's one of those things you definitely have to think about uh, for a while. But I mean, hell, if you could do it, I could do it. You know, I guess yeah, I, that's that's definitely the way to look at it. I guess because I can't hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I I do have a couple of questions that a friend of mine wanted me to ask. Uh, okay. Uh, you and Coffee both uh, get your perspectives on it. Uh, I'll ask one now, and uh, if we have time, I'll ask the second later. But uh, my friend Delvin Cox, he he is a uh, another podcaster he does the delvin cox experience and um i was actually just on his episode and we we touched on race a lot on on that as well um and the first question he wanted me to ask was what do you think of reparations and what would be fair okay my answer to that is this uh, there's i have several things i want to say about that first of all uh, we were promised 40 acres and a mule. And neither you nor I nor coffee knows anybody who ever received that. Yeah. And we got nothing. Very true. Okay. Uh, furthermore, we never even got an apology. Okay. Uh, the, the person who came the closest was Bill Clinton when he was in, when he was in office. What he said was slavery was wrong. But he never said, we are sorry. We apologize for it. Okay, he did not cross that line. Uh, in order to move forward, you know, we must receive the, you know, the apology. The apology is symbolic. Yes, I understand, you know, you know, white people say, well, why should I apologize? You know, I wasn't responsible for slavery. You know, I, I can't, I can't uh, be held accountable for what my great-great-grandfather did. Well, this is true. You're not responsible for it. Um, and no, you're not accountable for what your great-great-grandfather did. But um, the example I gave to this girl, uh, I was giving a lecture at Michigan State University some years ago. 
And, uh, and, and she said that exact same thing. You know, she's not a racist, but she doesn't feel that it's incumbent upon her to apologize since it happened so many years ago and, and it happened, you know, with her ancestors who she didn't even know. My, my thing was this. Um, if, if, if I'm a student here at Michigan State University and you live here in Michigan, in Lansing, Michigan, and it's Thanksgiving time, and you tell me that your grandparents uh, have, have said to you, you know, come over to my house for Thanksgiving and, and bring some of your fellow students, you know, who, who can't go home to visit their families, and you invite me, and I go along with some other kids, and I'm the only black kid there, and your grandfather at the, at the, at the uh, table uh, racially insults me, you're going to be embarrassed because you didn't know he was like that. Mm-hmm. And then as you're driving me back to my dormitory, what are you going to say? And she's going to, and she said, well, of course I'd say, I'm, you know, I'm sorry about, you know, you know, what my grandfather did or said, I said, well, there you go. You apologize for your ancestor. Your That's grandfather right. is your ancestor. No, you're not responsible for what he said at the dinner table, but, but you feel a need to apologize to me for what he said, because if you didn't, I would think you'd feel the same way. And because you apologize for it, I can accept that symbolically and know that you know that that you know that you don't mean what he means, and I can accept you. So 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 then she understood and she realized the value of the apology. Listen, we have apologized to Native Americans for what well I say we, the United States government, has apologized to Native Americans for what we did to them. In fact, if you have one eighth blood in Native American blood in you, you are entitled to some government money. All right, we have apologized. The Japanese Americans for what we did to them, putting them in the internment camps, and and if you are a descendant or a survivor of of, of that treatment, you are entitled to, to to a small stipend of money from the U.S. government. Uh, why are are black people being um being dismissed? Why why have we never received an apology or any stipend? Now I'm not advocating that you know you should give every black person money. I, I would say a, a fair, a fair reparation might be to offer uh, free tuition or some money towards getting uh, college education or things like that, uh, vocational training, things like that, in order to level the playing field. I don't want to be treated special. I want to be treated equal, and that to me would be a good reparation. Money, money doesn't mean anything. But, but, but give me the tools by which I can make a living and, and be qualified as equal as everybody else. That's the best goddamn answer I've ever heard to that, to that yeah. question. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that, that you explained the, you know, the Thanksgiving analogy because, you know, I mean, that breaks it down. That's yeah. it. Like that's, hey, listen, let, let, that's let, 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 me ask, let me ask you a question. You know, if, if you get into a fight with your wife or your girlfriend um, and you don't apologize before you climb into bed with her that night. That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and, and if you that go to the sense. movies and somebody gets up to go get popcorn and they step on your foot as they, as they're going down the road, you get out into the aisle way and they don't say, Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. You're going to be pissed off the rest of the movie. Yep. Okay. So the apology is necessary. It is. And that's, you know, definitely within reason for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't think you could get any more reasonable than that. Uh, 
I mean, did... but, but you know, you know, you know what the question you're going to get from some people? Well, who should do the apology first? Should it be yeah. the government? Who on behalf of the government should apologize? Yeah. The, you, top, you know, the, top, man, the top man. Right. Now, yeah. It would not have looked right, obviously, for Obama to issue the apology. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Clinton had an opportunity. Jimmy Carter had an opportunity. Ronald Reagan, both, both George Bushes. And uh, Trump has an opportunity. So on, on, on a side note, uh, you mentioned Clinton. Um, you, you, played, you played music with, with Clinton before. I guess I have. So how did that come about? Okay, well, I played piano for the, for the man who invented rock and roll, the late Charles Edward Anderson Berry, better known to most of you as Chuck Berry. Yep. Yeah. Without Chuck Berry, we, we would not have Elvis Presley, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, Leonard Skinner, Allman Brothers, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Elton John, anybody who plays rock music, all their DNA, goes back to Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Fast Domino, Bo Diddley. Okay? That's a fact. Now, um, I'm, not, I'm not knocking any of the other people. We needed Elvis Presley. I love Elvis Presley. Jerry Lee Lewis, Bill Haley in the Comets, Carl Perkins, Buddy Holly. All these, these, are, these were some great musicians, and they certainly opened the doors for a lot of black people by doing black people's music and getting it played on the radio. It opened the doors. All right? Yeah. But they popularized it we invented it. Now, um, uh, Chuck Berry was one of Bill Clinton's favorite uh, artists. So he was invited to play uh, the inaugural ball. And so me being uh, one of Chuck's musicians, I got to go. That's pretty amazing. Um, and then, you know, I, we, we won't talk about, we'll, we'll get back to, to the subject at hand, but you've also played with Eric Clapton. Uh, I, I think I read B.B. King. I, I've done shows with them, yes. Yeah, and and the list goes on, but I mean that's you you've got uh, quite the impressive resume uh, with you know contacts and whatnot. That's that amazes me. Uh, you know, I I seen BB King once when I was a kid, and even even without being able to understand most of what he was singing about, just uh, the 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 feeling and the vibe was just uh, you know never never experienced again. You know. Uh, yeah. But anyway, you know, there's, there's a difference. You know, I'm glad you point that out. You know, the feeling and the vibe um, when it comes to blues, anybody can sing a blues song, but not everybody can sing the blues. That's, exactly. that's right. Exactly. That's right. It's a feeling. It's that's right. absolute feeling. It's it's a, absolutely it's a absolutely. different energy that you feel like I, yeah. I, I, the blues genre is my favorite uh, genre of music just because it it's almost it it's something it's undescribable when you hear the mode it puts you in where you actually feel the pain you feel the love you feel the hurt you feel the sadness you can feel everything that they're giving you absolutely and that's even like i mean from my perspective like i mean uh with the exception of heartache and whatnot in my past uh which i mean i i have no regret no regrets or anything uh as far as that goes but uh, you know, I could listen to something and like you said, you know, th those feelings, those emotions, uh, just that mentality just kind of immerses you and, and you, in that moment, you could feel that even though, you know, I, I never personally experienced most of it, but you know, I could, 
You can uh, correlate with it. And, and, yeah. and in that moment, I can, uh, I cannot think of the word is what I can't <laughs> do. Um, it's, it's a very, if you, if you have a soul, if you have a soul, when BB King bends one of those strings, man, <laughs> you know, if you have a soul, I don't care what color you are, you're going to feel that. <laughs> exactly. I saw BB King when I was 18 years old working at the Star Plaza Theater. I, I in, seen him at, I seen him at the Star Hotel. Plaza. I think I was about 10 or 11 years old. It was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I got to meet him in the back. He travels with his family. Travels with his yeah. whole family. Yeah. His yeah. whole family. Travels with his whole family. Grandkids. He wants them around. Really pleasant guy. Got to take a picture with him, talk to him, chat with him for a bit. Uh, when he's on stage, man, and them strings are going. Yep. I mean, it's, it's almost like you're hypnotized. Yeah. You're hypnotized. Yeah. What's, what's happening? I mean, shit, that's, uh, you know, like almost 30 years ago from, for me. Uh, and, and I still remember that, Yeah, you know, so. Uh, Daryl, let me ask you a question. What you've accomplished so much, you've seen so much, uh, with your passion of music, uh, and your, your passion as a, uh, I'd say you're a social activist. Um, humanitarian. Yeah. What would you say with everything that you've done? And everything that you've seen and been a part of is what would what do you feel like is your greatest accomplishment uh, so far in your life? You know, it it was just a personal journey for me, and then it's turned out into a public one. Um, when when I was I was a late bloomer uh, in terms of music. When when I was a kid, um, I wanted to be one of two things. I wanted to be either a spy. I was fascinated with James Bond. <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel you. All right. Yeah, I like and, that. Yeah, and, and I also, and equally, I also want to be a computer programmer. Now, I'm older than both of you guys, probably older than both of you guys put together. But um, <laughs> uh, back then, because I'm 61, back right. then, um, you know, computers took up more room than your studio right there. Yeah. Okay. And so I knew that they, that they would eventually get smaller. Uh, I had no idea idea that they would get as small as my cell phone, but I knew they would get smaller. I knew there was a lot of money in computers. And so each vocation was pulling at me in opposite directions with equal force. So I was immobilized. I couldn't move. So at age 17, I thought about, you know, uh, who do I really admire in this world? And almost instantly, two names came to mind, Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry. Now, I could not play a single note of music, not one at the time, but I always liked music and mm-hmm. I always liked them. And what, and what impressed me about them the most was that they had made millions upon millions of uh, people all over the world happy with their music, people that they would never meet, people that they would never see. But they had touched those people through their records on the radio or concerts or TV appearances or whatever, made people happy. I said, you know what? That is really, really cool to, to, to spread happiness to people all around the world and you don't even know them. You never even meet them. And so I said, you know what? That's what I want to do. So I taught myself how to play music. I was never in school marching band or jazz band or concert band because I couldn't play. But I had mm-hmm. friends who were in those bands and they were in little rock and roll bands outside of school. So they were sure show me little things, and I'd go home and practice them. I taught myself how to play by ear, and then I went out and I bought books, 
I taught myself how to read music. And then uh, when I graduated, I had to audition, of course, you know, for music school. Surprisingly, not because I'm talented, because I'm not. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> I passed the audition and I was accepted. And um, my, my, my biggest talent was not my ability to play. My biggest talent was my discipline to sit down mm. for hours upon hours and hours each day and practice. Because, yeah. you know, most people, you know, you, you go to a concert and, you, and, and, and it just blows you off you know, out of your seat like, wow, that was fantastic. How did they do that? You know, what you're seeing is the finished product. Now, unless the, the musicians that you're seeing are prodigies, and certainly there are some, like Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, people like that, you know, those are prodigies. Um, most people, you know, you don't see all the hours they put into perfecting that craft. Right. You see the final product. Exactly. So that's my talent. People look at me and say, oh, you know, you know were, you, were you playing, you know, coming out of the womb? No, I was not. You know, you don't see the hours I put into it and the years. So that's what I did in order to make people happy. And in my travels and, and playing for different people all over the world, I would run across all kinds of different people, including white supremacists, because everybody likes music. Everybody likes music. Yep. You know, white supremacists or anybody else. You know and, what? Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, that reminded me of something. A lot of the people that I've, that I've met uh, through different jobs or school or whatnot, um, you know, the, the, the people that did have, you know, the, the, the white supremacist attitude and whatnot, one thing was like with, with all of them, they all listen to rap. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. it, it always, it always just boggled my mind. Uh, you know, how, how can you, how can you feel this way? But then, uh, you know, enjoy and most likely respect what you're listening to, who you're listening to. It, it just didn't make any sense to me at all. Well, see, Brian, <laughs> listen, my friend, you are a, a rational person. Therefore, you look for rationale in everything. Unfortunately, to be a racist is, is to not be rational. There is no rationale in racism. Right. So if, if you're already irrational by being a racist, you're going to do more irrational stuff. Like, like I sit down and listen to black music. You go, to, you go watch a football game. First of all, you're against any kind of interracial stuff. But yet you go to a football game, what do you got? You got blacks and whites playing together on the team. Or exactly. a basketball game. Yeah. And, and yet you're going to go ahead and cheer them on because you, you're going to give them a pass because they're your favorite football team. They're your favorite um, uh, basketball team or baseball team. But yet you see a black and white walking down the street, you got a problem with that. And yet you will go to you will go to the football game. You would cheer on those blacks and those whites playing together on the team on the field, especially if they're your team. All right, but um, you 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 don't have a problem when the game is over and those blacks are driving home and getting stopped by the police and maybe getting shot by the police. And but yet you got a problem when they kneel on the field. But sure. yet you go to the game and cheer them on. That's a racist. Yeah. There's no rationale in that. It's, it's the highest form of ignorance and hypocrisy. Exactly. Yeah. The exactly. highest form. Yeah. The highest form of ignorance. Like when I listened uh, to uh, what Bill Russell went through playing for the Celtics uh-huh. after he won the championship, I, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was their first one or their second one, 
But Bill Russell said he went back to his apartment in Boston after they won the championship. And mind you, this is when basketball was all white. Yeah. Right. Predominantly white. And, uh, you know, the games were on tape delay and everything. Right. Have you? And Bill Russell gets back to his apartment right after winning the championship for the city. And everybody was celebrating. And it was nigger was the term nigger was written in human feces on his wall. His apartment was completely trashed. Swastikas and, and all sort of racial empathets were spewed everywhere amongst his wall. This is right after he just played his heart out, you know, with his teammates. Yeah. That are white for a city that Boston known for having. Yeah. At that time being extremely racist and having, you know, supremacy issues. It's just, it's just crazy to think that you can do that. Yeah. You can, you, in one sense, you can just flip just like that. Oh man. Good job, man. You guys won. As soon as I walk off the field, fuck you. I'm back to the color. Yeah. I'm, I'm no longer, I'm nothing. Yeah. I'm, I'm nothing at all. Check this out. Okay. Muhammad Ali. I remember him when he was Cassius Clay. All right, greatest boxer in the world. He said he was the greatest, and he proved it. All right, he got drafted uh, to go to Vietnam. He refused to go, not right. because he was afraid, but he was a conscientious objector. Yes, and he said, "Why should I go to Vietnam and kill those people, um, and come back here only only to be treated as a second class citizen?" No Viet Cong ever called me a nigger. No truest statement could have been said. No Viet Cong ever called him a nigger, but yet we want him to go over there and kill those people to come back here to his own country and be called a nigger. Yeah. All right? Now, Elvis Presley. I love Elvis Presley. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I saw him 14 times. I met him. I went to his funeral. Elvis Presley was great. I will always defend him, and he did, uh, he did a lot of great things for black people as well. All right? But here's the thing. He even said that he got his style from black people like Chuck right. Berry and Fast Domino. He called them the kings of rock and roll. All right. Now, um, when Elvis first came out and, and you didn't see him, you heard him on the radio, people thought he was black. Kids went crazy over this guy. White parents were, were disgusted and they called up the, the uh, radio stations because at the time, most white stations were not playing black records. Right. And they were complaining that, you know, you know, get that guy off this radio. Why are you playing this nigger on the radio? So forth and so on. So the DJ, his name was Dewey Phillips down in Memphis, Tennessee. He, and Elvis was singing an old black blues song, his first record called That's All Right, Mama. All right. Dewey Phillips called Elvis Presley's house. And they said his mom and dad said he was at the movie. They sent someone to get Elvis out of the movie. Bring him down to the studio. He's like 19 years old, right? And because the kids kept calling, he had to play that song 17 times in a row. <laughs> the kids never heard anything like that before. You know, they heard all this Rosemary Clooney stuff and whatever. I'm not knocking her, but that's what they were hearing on the white right. side. Okay, so they want something different. So anyway, uh, Dewey interviewed Elvis. You know, how old are you, Elvis? Oh, I'm 19 years old, sir. And, um, you know, what high school do you go to, Elvis? I go to Humes High School, sir. Well, that right there was, was, the, was the key word. When Elvis said he went to Humes High School, 
that told the white parents listening, this boy was white. Because back in 1955, 54, um, schools were not uh, integrated. So if you, went to, if you went to Humes High School in Memphis, Tennessee, you went to the white high school. So therefore, you had to be white. So that calmed parents down a little bit. But then you remember, Elvis got on TV on the Ed Sullivan show, started wiggling his hips and knocking his knees and all that. And, and white people went crazy again. You know, he was being lewd and sexual and wiggling around and jumping around like a nigger. That was, that was their thing. He got kicked off of TV. They kicked him off of TV. The demand to bring him back by the kids was so great, they brought him back on TV, but they only filmed him from the waist up. Yeah, right. You couldn't see him shaking around. Right. All right? Okay, now, so they, they considered Elvis to be a traitor. He was out there doing, doing what, what, what they called jungle music, or nigger bop. That was a term for it. All right. Why was this man doing this? He was corrupting white youth with his long sideburns and shaking around like black people and singing this black music. They did not like him. All right. But then guess what? They saw how much money they could make. And then they appointed him the king of rock and roll. <laughs> and, and Elvis Presley invented rock and roll. He's the king. He is our boy. You know, and Elvis denied it, but money talks. So you know, you look in the in the in the rock and roll history books, and, and a lot of the older ones, they give credit to Elvis, and and, and even Elvis denied it. But see, that's how it works. They gave they gave Benny Goodman, Benny Goodman, the title King of Jazz, but they only gave Ellington and Basie lower titles, Count and Duke. Not King. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. And then even even in rap, in rap music, uh, the, the the first rap group, popular rap group, were three three big black guys standing on the corner of New York with gold chains around their neck. They were called Run DMC. All right. right? That was the first popular rap group, and they were popular among black people. White kids gravitated towards that because that's what they liked. It was different for them. They loved it. Nothing wrong with that. But the establishment wanted to lure those white kids back. So what did they do? The record companies, they put out three white guys with gold chains around their neck, and they became stars overnight called the Beastie Boys. All right? And then we put out uh, Ice-T. They put out Vanilla Ice. All right? <laughs> Today, the biggest rapper is a white guy named Eminem. I don't have any problem with Eminem. He's good at what he does, but he, he is the highest paid and the most popular and has sold the most records to date because these record companies will put the money behind their white artists. They have, they have a, every, every major record company has departments. I know this because I'm a musician. They have the country uh, department. They have the uh, jazz department, you know, the uh, alternative music department or whatever else. And then they have a, a section called urban music. Urban music is just another name for black music. All right. And that department gets the lowest budget. But you get a white artist doing urban music, the money will go behind him. So now uh, going back to the Beastie Boys, do you think that that was, uh, do you think that's kind of a semi similar situation with Elvis? Because I know the Beastie Boys definitely give credit where credit's due. Oh yeah, uh, they, all, they all give credit where credit's due. 
but it's the establishment. Yeah. You know, that because the thing of it is, uh, they don't want little white girls screaming and hollering over a black guy on stage or little black girls screaming and holler over a white guy. It's okay if little white girls scream and holler over uh, Elton John, but not little black girls. And they don't want little white girls, you know, screaming and hollering over, um, you know, uh, Prince or Michael Jackson. But it's okay if they scream and holler over, you know, um, Pat Just, Boone or somebody. Justin Timberlake or you know, yeah, something Justin like that. Bieber, Timberlake or whoever. So how do you feel in your experience, how, how far do you feel that this country has come along in the past couple of decades? I feel that it, it has come a very long ways. However, it still has a very long ways to go. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and we can prove that it's come a long ways. Look, black people did not put Obama in office. Okay. That's a fact. That's a fact. White people put Obama in office. And I can tell you why. Um, the population of black people in this country is only 12%. So, and, and the population of black people who are able to vote is even less than that. All right. But let's just say every black person in this country, uh, even, even little babies under the age of 18 voted for Obama. That would not have been enough to get him elected. We still need the white vote because we're, we're, we're only 12%. Okay. So 20 years ago, Obama never could have won because the attitude was not right for him to be in the White House. It would not, it would not have been accepted by the masses, all right? By 2008, when he was running, uh, there were more people of, of, of the white color who were willing to say, hey, you know what? This guy makes sense. You know, let's take a chance. You know, let, let's give him, him an opportunity. I'm going to vote for him. He makes a lot of sense. So by that time, attitudes had changed enough that there were more white people willing to vote for a black man than in, in, in any other year past. And that's why he won. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Let's go back to music. And you're going to think this is kind of far out, but trust me on this. Um, uh, you know, rock and roll needs, is, has been undercredited in what it has done for civil rights in this, in this country. All right? Um, back in the day, music halls, concert venues were segregated. If they allowed black people in at all, there were uh, ropes going around the seating sections with signs hanging down that would say seating for white patrons only or colored seating only. Just like, you know, you've seen pictures of the restrooms and the water fountains and all that kind of stuff, colored only, all that kind of stuff. All right. So if, if, if you, Brian, and you, Coffee, uh, were, were to go see Frank Sinatra back in the 1940s and coffee was allowed to go into the theater, you guys could not sit together like you're sitting right now. That was right. illegal. That was right. against the law. Just like Rosa Parks in the bus. You know, she didn't give a receipt. She got arrested. You all would have been arrested if you crossed that. So people sat in their seating sections and they abided by the law, that Jim Crow law. That law was still in effect in the 1950s. However, two phenomenons happened. One was the invention of rock and roll by the people that I you know, mentioned a few minutes ago and the popularization by the other guys that I mentioned. Um, and the second, the second phenomenon was this. You know, white kids had to sit in their section, black kids in their section. And, uh, and uh, as I said, up until then, 
people abided by the law. But when these guys, Elvis, Chuck, and Richard, and Jerry Lee, when these guys came out playing that new beat, that new boogie-woogie beat with a, with a backbeat to it, white kids and black kids alike could not sit still. You could not sit still to that music. They bounced up out of their seats. They knocked over the ropes and the signs, and they were boogieing and dancing in the aisles together for the first time in American history that it happened. The police would come in and shut down the concerts, right in the middle of the concert, pull the plugs. This concert is over. It's causing race mixing. Mayors, city councilmen began banning rock and roll concerts from coming to their towns because it caused white youth and black youth to mix. And they didn't want that. You know, they, and, and they couldn't stop it. So while, while Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and many other black and white great civil rights activists were marching, having boycotts, demonstrations, sit-ins, and protests in order to bring white adults and black adults together, these rock and roll people that I mentioned, they were achieving that already with black and white youth, with their music. But see, they don't get credit for that. But check this out. Those kids during that rock and roll era were in segregated schools. They did not come in contact with each other. And as you know, blacks lived on one side of the railroad tracks, whites on the other. And you know, you, you've heard the expression, that person is from the wrong side of the tracks. Right. Uh, that, that person was black. That, 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 uh, that, so that's where that expression came from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because you know, in the South, the railroad track ran through the middle of town. Blacks on one side, whites on the other. If you came from the wrong side of the tracks, you were black. Okay? Just like when someone said, you know, someone says, um, that's none of your cotton-picking business. You know, they're talking about, you know, picking the cotton in the plantation. All right? So, you know, they're referring to a, a, a derogatory thing. All right, so anyway, these, these black kids and white kids went to different schools, and, and this rock and roll caused them to dance together. And then these kids are thinking, you know, man, you know, th those black kids, you know, they weren't so bad. Or those white kids, you know, they weren't so bad. You know, they were not like, like our parents told us. Because, you know, they were raised to be racist. You know, you know, they weren't taking black and white dates to the prom back then, or interracial dates to the prom. But so, so now they're exposed to the other race, all right? And they're thinking, you know, they're not so bad. So while they're still prejudiced, you know, they might not marry one of those people or date one of those people, they, you know, they're, they're thinking it's okay to dance with them. So now they grow older, they get married, they have kids of their own. They are not going to implement the same amount of racism in their kids that their parents implemented in them. And then when their kids grow up and they have kids, that next generation is going to even have less. And then the following generation are the ones who voted for Obama. It yeah, started, that, with, it started yeah. with rock and roll, my friend. That's, that's the perfect point. You know, when, when somebody mentions, you know, it's, it's taught, it's not, you're not born. Yeah, exactly. With yeah. That, man, that's, you know what? I mean, that is, that is an easy trail of crumbs to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an easy trail because music has no boundaries. Yeah. It, it, it has no, like, when you, the, probably one of the most powerful performances I've ever seen, uh, and I, I'm just saying with my, eye, my own eyes, I wasn't there at that concert, but I remember feeling the energy off the TV. Uh, it was Dave Matthews Band uh, weekend at Red Rock. Uh, he performed Louisiana Bayou with Robert Randolph. Um, uh -huh. 
and I'll never, I was, it was channel 11 and I never forget watching when he played Louisiana Bayou, what happened? Like the, the crowd, the way the people were hypnotized and it was blacks, whites in the crowd, but Robert Randolph and Dave Matthews integrated band, you know, he's blacks in his band, but like to watch them play together and perform. And then just once the lyrics stopped and they just started like jamming out to watch the crowd lose their minds and I'm losing my mind. I I've been to concerts, many of concerts, especially hip hop concerts, which a lot of people don't understand. Like, like black people, like we support our artists, but our artists aren't getting rich. The Kendrick Lamars, the Jay Z's, they're not rich because we're supporting them. They're rich because white kids are supporting. Exactly. When you go to those concerts, the majority of those, a lot of black people can't afford $150 a ticket. Yeah. $100 a ticket. And when those concerts sell out with those credit cards, those are white kids and their parents' money buying those credit cards. And when we're at Mm -hmm. those shows on the floor and they rocking out, those kids know every lyric to every song. And you find yourself high-fiving and arms around each other and right. integrated and talking and right. it you don't you don't realize it until oh i never said i mean maybe explaining the story to somebody you know you be talking to me like i find myself doing this and i said man i gotta stop doing that i'm like oh yeah man we were out at this concert and i was talking to this guy but instead of saying talking to this guy i was like yeah man i was talking to these white guys me saying right. describing right. him as white it, it it holds no value to the story you know <laughs> it holds no value to the story at all you know i i definitely feel the same way we we talked about that yeah. in, in yeah. our previous episode um and you know one of the things that i mentioned and you know just just like you just mentioned you know yeah most of the time it holds no context to the story um but i mean you know i, I was actually just talking about it the other day with somebody at work and you know, it's just like, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the guy with the goatee, uh, yeah, the, 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 the tall guy with the goatee, whatever. And, and eventually it's got to come down to, yeah, it was, you know, the black guy with the goatee, you know, something right. like that. You know, so, sometimes it can't be avoided, but most of the time, you're right, it, 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 does, it does nothing for the story itself. Like Morgan Freeman said when he was talking to, I think it was Dan Rather. I think, yeah. it, was, I think it was Dan Rather in uh, 60 Minutes, and he was interviewing him. And Morgan Freeman uh, was under fire because he said, "I don't want a Black History Month." Yeah, I don't. I don't want a Black History Month. Yeah. My my history is all throughout the year. Like I, I, I don't need a Black History it's, Month. It's our history. It's our history. So he says, he's like, "Well, what do you want?" He was like, "You know what I want? I want you to re- not to refer to me as a black guy. I won't refer to you as a white guy. You refer to me as Morgan Freeman. Right. I'll refer to you as Dan Rapp. Yeah." Right. That's how it ends. Exactly. Is you see me as a person, the individual that I am. Like it's it's that simple, but for some reason it's so complex. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, let me. You know, I I have been saying for 19 years now that it is time for us to get rid of Black History Month. All right. And I'll tell you why. Uh, And there are people who agree with me, people who disagree with me. I know Morgan Freeman personally. And I and I, I'm I'm on, we, we're on the same page on on, on that topic. Um, first of all, for the longest time, we had no Black history. 
being right. taught in schools. Right. Uh, it, it was called American history. And for all practical purposes, it may as well have been called white history because oftentimes white people were being given credit for things they did not invent and for places they did not discover. All right. Um, and then we, we had to fight, fight, fight to get our history taught. We finally got one week. It was called Negro History Week. And mm. that was implemented by Carter G. Woodson. All right. And then, you know, nobody's going to give us everything at one time. So they gave us one week. And then we fought even harder, harder. We finally got one month, the month of February, which is the shortest month of the year. No, no, uh, no uh, coincidence there. All right. <laughs> However, we accepted, <laughs> we accepted February because two of our heroes uh, were born in that month, one being Frederick Douglass and the other one being Abraham Lincoln. So we said, OK, we'll take it. It was, it was better than having nothing. Right. OK, so we have February now. We needed Black History Month. We needed it because no black history was being taught. Uh, however, it has reached a point now where it is detrimental to us. And let me explain that to you. Um, each year, uh, every February, we learn about the same half a dozen black people in this country, uh, such as Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, George Washington, Carver, um, you know, and one or two more. And by that time, by the time we get through half a dozen, oops, February is over. We did our black thing. Let's move on. And, and we never revisit those people again until next February. Every February, it's the same people. All right. right. Uh, now, what, now, now, now we, we talk about uh, Ben Franklin, um, uh, uh, Eli Whitney, Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison. We talk about those people all year long. We are constantly reinforcing what they did. You ask, you ask some kid any time of the year, um, who was the guy who flew, who flew the kite and the lightning hit the key? Everybody knows it's Ben Franklin. But you ask some kid uh, in, in grade school, you ask him in June when he's, when he's about ready to graduate. Uh, so tell me, who was Harriet Tubman? Oh, oh I know, I know. Uh, uh, she was that, that black lady that, uh, that did not give up her seat on the bus. <laughs> she got her confused with Rosa Parks yeah. because there's no reinforcement after February. Now, here's, here's the detrimental part, okay? Because we keep talking about the same half a dozen. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from the people that I just mentioned, King and Parks and Harry Tubman. Right, of course. These were, these were some of the greatest people in our history. I'm not taking anything away from them. However, when you keep talking about those same people uh, year after year after year, you are, you are brainwashing little black kids and little white kids into believing there were only six people in, in, in all of history that, that were black that ever did anything. That was yeah. influential. Yeah. What about the guy who invented the traffic light? What about the guy who invented the ironing board? Oh, well, you know, we didn't have time for them because we only have 28 days. Yeah. Well, you know what? It is time for us to take the material that we have in what we call Black History Month and take it, get rid of Black History Month and integrate it into what we call American history and teach it all year long. Same thing with Women's History Month. Women's History Month is March. Get, you know, you know, coffee and I don't, don't stop becoming black after February any more than your sister, your mom, stops becoming a woman after March. March. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Okay. right. Okay, but we still have this underlying racism in this country. Look, you know, for example, I remember 
the Miss America contest. Well, you know, when I was a kid, no black women were allowed to compete in Miss America. And there were only two categories. It was all white women. All the judges were white males. Okay. There were two categories, the swimsuit issue and, and, and the uh, evening gown. That was it because women were objectified. You know, they didn't have talent. They didn't need to write an essay. You know, we're, we're not looking at them as, as being, you know, intelligent. We're looking, we're looking at them as objects. Mm-hmm. So that's what was voted on. And black women were deemed ugly. They, they were not beautiful enough to compete for Miss America. And furthermore, they did not want these white male, male judges looking at the beauty of a black woman and judging it. All right. So what did that do for black women in this country? It gave them low self-esteem because they did not feel that they were as beautiful as these white women or they were being told that they were not. So what did we do as black people to elevate their self-esteem? We created the Miss Black America beauty pageant to give them an opportunity to, to compete and, and, and feel beautiful, etc. Okay, so that worked for a while. And finally, Miss America, the big one, Miss America, finally came to its senses and opened its doors to black women. And now any American woman, regardless of what color she is, can compete. And since that time, uh, we have had several Miss Americas who've been black, starting with Vanessa Williams, and then Debbie Turner, and then a couple more. So now, now that Miss America is on equal standing, we no longer need Miss Black America. You understand? Because now we got equality with Miss America. So when the hell are we going to get equality with our history? We're in the 21st century. Yeah. What? Okay, ch- check this out. See, see how much sense this makes. Obama became our first black president. So now, from here on out, we can only talk about Obama in February because he's part of black history. So we're going to put him in, in, the, in the February box. How dumb is that? You know, we're in the 21st century. We are in space age times. So why are we thinking with stone age minds? It's, we, were, we were just talking, I think I was talking about it on the Delvin Cox podcast with another podcast, The Bearded Idiots. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, you know, again, we, we, we touched on race. Um, and I, I shouldn't say we touched on race. It was more of a massage. Like, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we got into it pretty good. Um, but I, I made the comment that, you know, Black History Month is basically Shark Week. You know, it's yeah. every, everybody's all excited about sharks and sharks are great, uh, you know, for for a week. And then the rest of the the rest of the year, it's oh, sharks are going to fucking eat you. They're, they're you're, you're going to die this and that. Uh, and that's it, it popped in my head. It's like, you know, that, you know, Black History Month is 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 shark week for the African-American it's, population. It's it's so much history. Yeah. It, but, and, yeah. and what I mean is like. I, and shame on me, uh, I'm 35 years old and I'm still learning about my history. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and well, that's, well, it's, a shame. I, so, it's a shame I'm not diving into it. So, so going, going back to that, like that, that's another thing that we talked about is that, you know, just like you were touching on, uh, Daryl is it, it needs to be integrated into American history. Yes. Uh, you know, because the, the, the month just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't do it justice. And, you know, it is, it is history. And you know, history. The, the comment was, was brought up, you know, history is written by the winners. Well, you know, I, I think it's about time that, you know, we, we start going more in depth in, in the history. Like, like and, when, and by, like you said, more in depth, 
like I I was watching, uh, for instance, the NBA, um, which uh, they've come a long way. Um, it's, 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 the NBA is what eighty, almost eighty ninety percent black, um, as far as players are concerned. Uh, still a lot majority white owners, uh, majority white coaches, uh, but they do a really good job. Or they 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 had tried to do a really good job um, with being informative uh, during Black History Month. Martin Luther King and uh, the guys on TNT uh, inside the NBA uh, for Martin Luther King's birthday um, and during the, the month of February, they always drop knowledge yeah. about Black history. I had no well, idea that Rosa Parks, the story of Rosa Parks, the backdrop to it. And I'm pretty sure Daryl knows this. It was a, yeah, it was a 15 year old girl uh, that was pregnant. She was right. pregnant, but she was the first one, and she was unwed. And she was unwed. And the NAACP chose Rosa Parks. Not that she did not do what she did, but Rosa Parks would have been a better uh, beacon child. of light. Yeah, yeah, poster child. There you yeah. go, poster child to to the NAACP and, and moving forward as a but that girl's name is in the museum yeah speaking of Daryl have you been to the uh, the museum in, in, in D.C. yet have you visited yeah. you in have fact, I, I took I took a Ku Klux Klan leader to the museum a few months ago wow yeah how, and well, how, we, how we, did it go we, well, we're gonna save that story for the for part two. Oh yeah we, we gotta say that hey, for part two man we, 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 we've been going strong before I run about yeah. uh, about um, about uh, Martin Luther King uh, Day. You mentioned it, Martin Luther King Day. Um, you know, we, again, we had to fight, fight, fight to get uh, Martin Luther King Day a holiday. Okay, it took a long time to get that. Uh, we were denied it for the longest time. Arizona was the last state to finally approve it, and even some states don't 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 give you the day off. They just you know call it a holiday, whatever. Um, but here's the thing. Why, you know, why did that? Why did they not want to give him a holiday? Um, well, well, a lot of it was racism. But let me explain the backdrop to that. Do you realize that Martin Luther King? Think about it for a second. Martin Luther King is the only American man to have a holiday all to himself. No other American man has a holiday all to himself except Martin Luther King. And guess what? He's black. Now, there used to be two white American men who each had a holiday to himself. All right, one was George Washington, Washington Day, and another one was Abraham Lincoln Day. Yep. And then what happened? We combined the two into what? President's President Day. Day. Right? Yep. So you got two guys on one day. Martin Luther King is the only single American man to have a holiday all to himself. I've and, never and, thought and, of that. And, and the white establishment did not want that, okay? Now, however, however, there is another man who has a holiday all to himself. Um, guess what? He's not American. That's he was a murderer, Columbus. he was a rapist, and he was a pillager, okay? Yep. Christopher Columbus, we yep. take the day off, we honor this man, and, and how did he discover America when people were already here when he we're got here? That's great. And, 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 and he raped and murdered and pillaged people along the way. 
the first and then, quarter. And, and his crew. All right. <laughs> Martin Luther King never murdered anybody. He never pillaged any town. He never uh, raped anybody. But yet we refused. He gave his life to bring people together and loved everybody. We refused to give him a holiday, but yet we give it to a, to a rapist and a murderer. Man. That's, That's crazy. See, see people, see, this, this is what, what, is what needs to be taught in American history. But yeah. we're not being taught that. Okay, guys. But listen, let's definitely do part two. Because I got I, a lot more to say. I, I would I would definitely love to do that. Uh, I definitely appreciate you. I mean, you've, you've definitely gone over the time that you allotted for this. So, I mean, I, I just appreciate you taking the time out to to talk to me, to talk to coffee. Uh, and, you know, just, uh, again, like, you know, getting, getting the conversation started, which, I mean, you started a long time ago. Um, but, I mean, it, it's a conversation that needs to keep going. It needs to be uncomfortable. And it, it just needs to be, it just needs to be done. Okay. Yeah. Give me, give me a call. Hey, Dirk, we'll do it again. Yes, Dirk, sir. Uh, real quick. So we can get you out there. Uh, you, you have any, are you on tour? Do you have any tour dates coming up where people can come and listen to you? Rock yeah. If they, if they go to Daryl Davis, that's D-A-R-Y-L. Only one R. D-A-R-Y-L Davis.com. Uh, my schedule is there. I have, uh, I have two schedules. I have a speaking schedule where I'm all over the country and around the world giving lectures and also a performing schedule. Uh, they will be updated uh, probably by Sunday, but they can go to DarylDavis.com and get my schedules. Well, if, next time you're in Chicago, uh, if, if schedules line up and everything, I, I would love to, you know, just sit down and talk in person, whether it be here in the studio or out to lunch, dinner. Okay, anything. absolutely. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I bring it up. Um, yeah. And then, uh, shameless uh, question here, but uh, if you if you happen to talk to Morgan Freeman and uh, find out if he likes cigars <laughs> or just wants to have a conversation, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I will do that. I, I'll, be, I'll be happy to do that. That that I mean, uh, again, I I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to to sit here and and talk to me. And um, you know, I I definitely look forward to the next time. My pleasure, and please, I'm I'm, I'm serious about it. You know, give me a call sometime next week, whatever. And we'll, we'll find another date and we'll do part two. Yes. Let's all right. do that. Um, yeah. And if you just want to send me an email with all your links and everything, okay. I know your website, Instagram, Facebook, whatnot. Uh, I'll, I'll put everything in the episode notes and, uh, you know, we'll go from there and we'll, we'll work on the, the next episode. All right. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Take Darryl. it easy, Daryl. Bye-bye. That was heavy. Yeah. That was, that was so I, dope. I, oh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Dude, I've been wanting, I, I never forget the first time like dan levitard like gets the greatest uh interviews it's not the 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 average sports talk show and when i and i heard the story and he's an incredible journalist and, and interviewer and when i heard the story i was just like wait a minute what and then i had to do research and then so i watched some of his interviews and uh some of uh some of the the, the b-roll footage of the documentary I, I i was floored yeah and i was thinking to myself i was like god damn it i would love to talk to that dude in person yeah or, or just talk to him on the phone yeah that's i'm and then a year later yeah <laughs> yeah dude like I'm, a year later i'm definitely glad I, I i thought to give you a call and uh you know have, have you join us so that yeah he's so i i i just think that was that was that was great it it, it, it Music, man, music, 
breaks down all barriers, man. It does. It breaks down all. It does. It and breaks down all barriers. You know, like like I said earlier, uh, you know, even even the uh, the the racists and whatnot that that I've run across, um, you know, rap music. Uh, I mean, dude, I'm, I I was in Phoenix two years, oh, almost three years ago. Wow, time moves fast. And I went out there uh, and I went to see Kendrick Lamar uh, perform. Um, and uh, when I'm telling you the entire crowd, the entire, like, well, not the entire crowd, but the majority of that crowd was, was pre- predominantly white. And the energy that he had them rocking to, but it, it was whites, blacks, young, old, Asians. I mean, it was a diverse, diverse crowd, but of course, majority white. But like to see a black dude generate that kind of energy and that kind of love, you know, like it, like I, me, I'm always, I'm always thinking, I'm always progressing, I'm always my mind is always outside of the box. I'm always analyzing, analyzing, and when you see that one person can generate that much energy from a crowd and bring people together and affect people in that way where they're like singing at the top of their lungs and they rocking out and they they you know bump, bumping shoulders together and high-fiving and like you get to experience that moment with like that that's it yeah it, th- there is no skin complexion at that point yeah and it's only and it's crazy because it's only five thousand or three thousand or a hundred if you're a comic. If, when you're an artist, arts, the fine arts, food, like just be, for instance, like you know, we you got the jokes, like you know, oh, white people only eat this, black people only eat that, or this, that, and other. But just to think that food, uh, uh, paintings, uh, music. Uh, performing arts, dance. That's the barrier. The barrier yeah. is gone. Yeah. That is, that's the barrier is that the barrier is no, that it no longer exists. Yeah. There is no, Oh, I'm on the, the fence that divides. There is no railroad down. A, the railroad tracks are gone at that point. Yeah. We vibing out together. And that person might be Eric Clapton. That person might be little Richard. We vibing out together. Yeah. I can like Eric Clapton. You know what I'm saying? It, it's it's an invisible line that we've. It's a concept that we put been put in our heads. He said he said he grew up overseas. He didn't even he didn't hear the word racism until he was ten years old. He yeah. didn't he didn't even know what it was. Yeah, he didn't even know what it was. Yeah, he he couldn't formulate the concept in his head of why is this happening to me. But I I, I, I I've been saying it for fifteen plus years now. You take a white kid. Take a black kid, take an Asian kid. You find an Indian, you take their kid. <laughs> you take a Latin, you know. You take these these ethnicities, these races, and you put them together on an island, and we don't inject them with these shitty concepts. They're going to make babies. They're going to make babies. That's right. They're going to make babies. They're going to they're gonna work together. The world's bl- And the world's blending. Oh, it's absolutely. to the point now. Absolutely. I've got friends. I've got a friend. You would not think she's black. She's black. She's mixed with 
with with black her mother her father's black and her mother's white but for some reason people think she's latin yeah people literally think she's latin she's got this long hair incredibly attractive long hair but her features you would think she has some latin descent you know what i'm saying every as they call them now the the, the popular term milano the, Mil- the milano babies it's yep. a lot of milano babies going around yeah. now and guess what like I I, re- I remember, like I told you before, when we talked about it before, it, I remember growing up in Maryville, be, being in Indiana, Northwest Indiana, and being in Maryville, one of like the first black families to be out there. Yeah. And then their kids, like I remember my friends having their parents feeling some type of way about, you know, their kids being integrated with black kids. But then it's like, yo, like once you realize, oh, this, this is a person. Yeah, it's no different to me. It's, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is my friend. This is my friend. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's that's it. You, I don't see you as a white guy. You don't see me as a black guy. We see each other as guys, and that's the problem because the concepts have already been beaten. Everybody well, has I, their own. Everybody has a prejudice. I, I have to see you as a black guy because your name is Coffee Black. Well, that's true. So that, that's I mean, true. <laughs> But uh, man, I, that was dope. That was dope. Yeah, and dude, what I, he's doing is is fucking amazing. If to I, I to pump that story, like that guy just needs to be everywhere. Yeah, because what he's doing is insane. Yeah, it's it's insane and it's important. And in, insane, not in a bad way. It's just like it's unthinkable. It's un. I don't think there isn't a lot of people. There isn't a lot of people that would be willing to do what he's doing. No. And and what I mean is I've got, I've met white people that are scared to go into inner cities of Chicago. Won't ride their back, ride their bike past uh, uh, 59th street in Hyde park. They'll, they'll ride. Ride, ride, ride. Oh, time to turn around. Here comes 59. Time to turn around yeah. and head back. Or, you know? or, or take the really long way around. Oh, oh, just take the really long way. Won't ride the red line after a certain point in time tonight. And I'm not saying it's not dangerous. And let me tell me, sir, I don't want to go it's, over there. But you know, you know what I mean? It could, it could be dangerous. But, I mean, one of the, one of the key things is, is exposure. It, it, but exactly. If it's you exposure, to it. exposure is huge. Because when I worked for the ambulance, most of my time was spent in Gary and the shitty parts of East Chicago, you know, uh, and the exposure that I had to that made me realize it's not all bad. You know, that that's most of it. Most of it isn't bad. It's, it's just the idea you know? that's been put in your head. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the ideas put in your head by the media. Yeah. By what, 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 what's on the news when they talk about Gary, what's on the news when they talk, talk about, about Chicago, Chicago. It's, it's, and it's all the time. Yeah. And but it's not, but that's not I was just in Tampa. I was just in Tampa Bay like like uh, maybe like two weeks ago. Coming up, yeah. So like two weeks ago, I was just in Tampa. And I was floored by uh their cultural development, um uh the social uh structure and how the city is is made up and how the city vibes together. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a huge difference 
let me not say it's a huge difference. The feeling of the city and the energy of the city is incredibly different than the energy in the Midwest. Yeah. And, uh, like, like I hear people that travel a lot. They say they have a love affair with the city. And I, I've traveled a lot. You know, I remember growing up, we used to be all over the country. Uh, and, but I, as, as I got older, I didn't travel as much, you know, money, this, that, and other, but throughout my travels, you know, the far and few between that I have out to the West coast, down South, new Orleans, uh, the Georgia Southern States, even the East coast, when you start and I, Daryl was living abroad. Yeah. For more than half of his life, he was living abroad. Want your exposure to other things, other places, it knocks down everything. Yeah. It I mean, takes the stress off. It takes the anxiety away. That that pressure that you feel. Because you just go on with what you what you know. When, with when what you know. When he mentioned it just being another ritual, it's, that, yeah, it, it's nothing to him. It 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 didn't necessarily blow my mind, it just clicked. It's like that that makes complete sense. It, it's it's absolutely nothing to him. Yeah. So I I, I mean I like I said. I know white people that want, he's talking about a black man talking about going to a KKK rally. Mm-hmm. I know white people that'd be like, are you crazy? What, what, what would make you even do that? Weren't you, you weren't afraid Did you have police were you, were you, were you well, dangerous? That, I mean, and just think that's my first thought when I, when I hear that he's going to rallies, yeah. you know, especially the private rallies. And, and, and now we're talking about a specific place. Yeah. With a Pacific, a specific, uh, uh, mentality, mentality. And a group of individuals where you know exactly what you get, right? And yeah. he went there, right? I know people that won't travel to Crown Point, Indiana. And we're talking about a town. Yeah. Because they have this fear of how they're viewed in a specific town. Yeah. We're talking about a goddamn well, town. Shit. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Th- this guy's going to exactly where he knows how he's going to be viewed. That's I, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I know there's a coffee shop somewhere out here. I'm pretty sure it's Couts, but I think it was called the Couts Coffee Corner. And it was <laughs> and it was it was KKK. I don't know if it's still around. I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm not sure if I'm remembering remembering that correctly. But that's great. I mean that that goes back to earlier. <laughs> I mean Indiana is Indiana, and that's you know hey, it's look. there, and it and it's that close. I mean Couts is what forty five minutes from yeah, us. Yeah. Right? So Couts is you know thirty five minutes from Gary. Right. And you know again, uh, if I, if I if I'm wrong, if it wasn't Couts, I'm sorry for anyone who lives in Couts, but uh, it's somewhere somewhere close to there. You I, know, I, like I don't people get on people talk about me like man, you'll go anywhere. But you go anywhere. Like I don't care. Yeah, I I I, I don't have that fear. I, yeah. I, I, well, I don't I'm, have that fear. I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't have that fear completely. I mean, obviously, if I'm going through a bad neighborhood, you know, I'm I'm checking the rear view a little bit more often. But uh, <laughs> right. Well, I know, mean, I mean, you got to be self aware. I mean, yeah. nobody's saying that you don't have to be self aware. Like you got to be self aware where you're going. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I, I felt. I've. It's been times where I felt extremely comfortable being the only black guy in the room amongst the whites and there's been times well i've been amongst my own 
and I felt vastly more uncomfortable. Yeah. As I, as though I didn't belong. Matter of fact, when I, I I did a show in Michigan, my first time headlining a gig, it was uh, uh, in Michigan City. I don't know if I told you this before. Um, and when I got out there. Now, this is this is like back road Michigan City. This is like like everybody, when I walked in the bar, it was an, like, I don't even remember the name of the place, but everybody had on uh, camo gear. The Under Armour Army Fatigue, the camo, like, I mean, it was three blacks in that room that night, right? And two of them came to support me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Specific. I'm I'm dead serious. And I was, I, I can't say, I, I don't want to say it was the racial component, but I know it's something, it had something to do with it. And I was freaking out in my anxiety. I suffer, in, I suffer from anxiety and panic attacks real bad yeah and at that time i I, kn- I knew i had so i knew i had an issue i didn't know how like i needed professional help to get over this 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 i knew something was happening to me yeah. at that time but i didn't know what it was and i was freaking out and uh the promoter's like is also named brian uh he's like uh he's like dude i've never seen you like this before coffee like what's going on and i'm freaking out and I'm just rambling and I'm talking. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what the, I don't know if my jokes are going to go over tonight or this, that, and other. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to relate to these people. And then and I'd never, like, before a show, I have anxiety a lot of times, but I never felt that. But I remembered the last time I felt it, it was earlier that year, and I was doing in downtown Chicago on the first and I was doing an all-black crowd. Um, it was an urban, urban crowd, and it was, it was, it was rough. Yeah. It, it was, it was some rough riders in there because it was like a a rap show, too. It was like a local rap show, and they were they tried to like infuse comedy and rap all together, and I didn't feel like I belonged in there either. Yeah. And so he looks at me and he hands me a shot. He's like, "Drink this shot." He's like, "You know what?" You should start out with that. Get on stage and say that. Yeah. And as soon as I got on stage, the first that was the first thing I said. I was like, man, I just did a show in Chicago and I had never felt uh what did I say? I said something, I said something along the lines of I had never felt more white. (laughs) 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 I never felt more white than I did then. And now I'm out here. And I've never felt more black <laughs> than I do now. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and it broke the ice. It was like the elephant in the room. Yeah. I'm yeah. the headliner. They, you know what I'm saying? My boy Johnny C's hosting. Every, everybody's gone up is white, except for Ray Chi-Chi. Ray Chi-Chi was out there. They had a Latin out there. Um, uh, shout out to Ray Chi-Chi. Uh, and I get up, and I see a black guy uh, with suspenders on you know, and denim, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's in a stingy brim hat. And then like, you know, it's that, it, it, it was a little bit of energy. Like is this guy going to make me laugh. And as soon as I said that, they like the whole crowd started laughing and it broke the ice. It was like, okay, now we can run. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, and, and, and all it was is a, it's, it's fear. Fear doesn't exist. It's not really a thing. Then you, once, you, once, once you, 
once you break the ice. It's, it's, I guess. it's all in your mind. Yeah. Fear is only a concept. It's all in your mind. That's all it is. It's not it's not like this table. It's not like this cigar. I, you know what if, I mean? If I had a dog chasing me, I'm pretty sure that's fucking fear. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes. It, no, of course it's fear. But like they say, what they, what they always say, like dogs, like animals sense. Yeah. yeah. They, they sense the fear. You know what I mean? That that intimidation, that's something that you're creating in your head. Yeah. It's something that you're creating. We create that in our head. We create, we've created this concept of race in our heads. Prejudice, bigotry. It's all it is. Yeah. It's, it's all is. We, our blood is still the same. Yeah. If you're a white supremacist, trust me, if you're bleeding out and you need a blood transfusion, you're not asking where that blood came from. Yeah, exactly. And I'm pretty sure you don't give a shit that it came from a black guy. Yeah. Because I damn sure don't give a shit if my blood that I'm getting, as long as it's the same blood, I don't care. Fill me up. Yeah. <laughs> Fill me up with Cletus's blood. Yeah. Yep. I don't care. It, give it to me all day long. I don't care. You know, you don't care if my, my organ, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what my, I don't care, man. If my kid needs an order, oh, well, you know, it was a, a KKK member's heart. Are you sure you want your son to have this heart? Are you fucking kidding me? If you don't put that goddamn heart in my son's chest, you know what I'm saying? Knock on wood. But are you kidding me? How's that for a fucking, I'm getting back at you now, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, seriously, though. Yeah. It, 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 it's all bullshit. Yeah. Racism is so funny to me because it's all bullshit. Yeah. It's the, like you said, racists listen to hip hop. Yeah. I've seen racists with dreads, with dreadlocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And, and, they, and they can explain it. Well, they think they can explain it. Yeah. And when you listen to them, you're like, this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's, it's, it's purely ridiculous. It's okay for everybody to be different. We're all different. We, and I understand that, like you said, it's all, about, it's all about exposure. I don't expect you to understand what I've been through or what I have to deal with when I wake up in the morning being black. Yeah. I don't expect you to understand. I mean, you could have grown up in the community. You could have grown up, you know, not really around a lot of black people or this, that, and other, only work with them. But I'm, I, for me to sit there and look at you and be like, you should know what I've been through. The, I, 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 I don't, you don't have to know what I've been, what I go through the, being the, black. The, the closest thing that I could ever experience that, that, you know, that I experience on a yearly basis, the closest thing that I could come to experience in that, you know, get, getting those looks like who the, who the fuck is this motherfucker? You know, at, when I, when I dye my hair for St. Baldrick's, you, you, oh, did, yeah. Did you oh, yeah. Did you oh yeah. See yeah, my yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw the pictures. Yeah. So like that, that week or two that I had my hair dyed, it's, you know, like you said, every head turns to look at me. Right. And, and they all have these assumptions. All like, had assumptions. like, yeah, it's, it's just, well, for one, it's unnecessary because I mean, kind of along the same lines, I'm not, I'm not trying to fucking equalize it at all right but i'm just saying like you know if if you know every time that somebody would ask me hey why is your hair like that I'm like oh i'm raising money for childhood cancer research you know right. uh which obviously that's vastly different because that's my choice you know mm -hmm. uh but you know as far as feeling different having that feeling of not being an outlier because of being the way that i look yeah you know that's that's as close as i could get which is nowhere near as right. close as I could actually come to, like, legitimately understand. Right. To have, you know, have heads turn, 
Yeah. Or, or you know the eyes are on you, even yeah. though they're not on you. They, they look down in their plate, and they eat their peas, and they look up, and they go back down. And they look up, and they go back down. And they look up, and they go back down. And this conversation is happening yeah. throughout the room. And, and, and you do, like, and that's like a microcosm. Yeah. But it's small. It's minute of what it is. Like, the, the, when you're black, like, you got that responsibility. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, especially after what Daryl did and, and, and how he talked and elocuted himself in, in, incredibly. Uh, on the subject but like to say oh whether it's unfair or to be judged or this that and that, like, I'm not I'm not doing that shit but like yeah. <laughs> you do have this responsibility when you black like and a male and you're a male I'm a male but like when I get up like I represent at work I represent when I go out in the street I represent my whole culture because if I'm around you and your family or 10 other white families and I'm there and I'm the only one there, my actions and how I speak and how I talk and how I carry myself is going to dictate, which is wrong and it should not be that way. But this is it life and does. life life is not like they say, life is not fair. Fair is where they, they go, you, you pet pigs and, and, and judge cows and goats and get yeah. and get uh what what is that shit called fried dough yeah. you know and you know you know what i mean and ice cream cones elephant, elephant, elephant ears. ears right like, like that's where fair like this life isn't fair but i know i've got that responsibility cuz i know it's how i'm perceived that night is going to be 10 other guys that are going to be perceived that way and i've had the conversation oh and it, and it's so innocent when they say it Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not one of those, like, I'm not aggressive (laughs) with my blackness. Like, Oh, what, why do you feel that way? He's like, like, they'll be like, man, I, I, you carry yourself well. Yeah. Or, Oh man, you're, you you really speak well. What the fuck does that mean? I really speak well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I had a good education. Yeah. You sure do seem pretty educated for being a black boy, son. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what? You're all right. You're one of the good ones. Well, what is that? (laughs) What is that? What is it? And I could just start going off and being extreme with my blackness, but but I'm not. I take that like, like there's, I take that as an opportunity. All right, let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk because you're naive you know what i'm saying you're a naive individual let's talk because if i get offended by it why would i be offended by it and then close it down yeah now you get to walk away with that same ideology and that mindset no let's sit here and let's chop it up yeah if, if let I'm, me let me, if let me I, break this up for if you. i'm offended by it let me explain why i'm offended by it so you could explain why i shouldn't be offended, be offended by it right and and then let's and we, we both come away we, Right. With with a little bit more knowledge. Exactly. And you know, hopefully better people. Better people off that conversation. Exactly. So the next time you're around, like like I tell some people, uh, like well, like Daryl had said, if her grandfather said something uh racial or uh or bigatorial, she, she's gonna apologize for she's it. She's gonna apologize for it, right? Like the conversation amongst whites 
I even hate saying that, but like when you see something on the news and it's fucked up, like we were talking about the Van Dyke trial yeah, in Chicago, the cop killing an unarmed black kid. When you guys watching on the news, when you and your, your wife watching on the news, if it doesn't unsettle y'all where you, where there's no blacks around and you guys can't have the conversation, no, man, that's fucked up. Yeah. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Yeah. That's wrong. If you guys can't have that private, because that's where the shit starts. It starts in the home. It starts in the intimate dealings with each other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not always going to be that, that, uh, represented, that entity might not be represented all the times when you had a conversation. Like I often, I often one, I'm like, man, I want to do white people that are not racist talk about like the injustices amongst their own like black people talk about the injustices like because we'll talk about it yeah in our culture we'll, we'll we'll often talk about it and i'm like man like i know i know my boy phil's not racist i know he's not but i wonder when he sees some shit and him and his friends walk away do they say it's not fucked up like it's it's right, cool hold on, hold on. With, with with that being said like something that i wonder about or not not wonder about but something that crosses my mind a lot is like seeing um like not i i guess like the 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 positive posts and that that's probably not the right right way to explain it but you know like a a a positive post about you know or ah shit i don't know but uh, all right so a positive post about a black individual and you know, that's, that's being shared mm-hmm. on, on Facebook or Instagram or right. anything. Well, I guess not Instagram because right. uh, don't really share anything on that except for your own stuff. But um, like there, there's been times where it's like, all right, I want to share this, but wait, if I share this are, you know, is, is the black community going to see me as a poser or anything like that? Or, you know, are, is the white community going to think that I'm pandering or anything like that? You know, it, it's, right. it, it, it's stuff like that. That's, it, it's one of those, I guess it, it plagues me as kind of a gray area. Well, it, but, but that's the thing, right? Like if you're not, if you're being true to yourself, then fuck it. Yeah. If you're being true to yourself, fuck it. Like that was the point I was getting to. Like, if you're not racist and you despise it and you see something happen in the store that you know is wrong, right? Like, oh, okay, for instance, let's say um, there's half off of milk, right? And it's, you're, it's a lady in front of you that's black and then it's a guy in front of her that's white, right? And then he hands her the, 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 cash, the cashier the coupon and you know, all you guys are buying milk and she gives them half off. Right. And then the black woman walks up and she has her coupon. And then the cashier says, and he, that guy leaves. Go ahead. Okay. That guy leaves. And, uh, the black woman walks up and she gives her coupon, right. For the, for the, uh, the, the half off milk. Okay. And then the cashier says, Oh, well, um, this promotion is no longer going on. And she's like, what do you mean this promotion is no longer going on? Like, I just saw 
you give, you know, the, you, the what are you talking about? Like it's, it's happening for today. And the cashier denies her the ability to use the coupon. Right. And then as soon as she pays or whatever, and she's bagging up her stuff. And then as soon as you walk up and you have the coupon, you're like, so you're no longer using coupons. And then she says, Oh yeah, we're still using the coupons. Clearly something just happened. Clearly something just happened right yeah. there. That was that, that you can't really say, I mean, we, we all know what happened. You know, we all know that, that she just changed the game. Why did she change it? Was it because of the race of her skin? I don't know. Maybe that chick harmed a kid before, or she doesn't like her for whatever particular reason, but we know something's up. If you see it, and you're like, that makes you uncomfortable, or you're like, wait a minute, what the fuck was that about? That's some bullshit. And you, you see what I'm saying? Like, if you don't take the time to just be like, well, wait a minute, hold on. That's not right. Why do I get to use it? And that gentleman in front of her gets to use it. She doesn't get to use it. Yeah. And the cashier says, why do you care? I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out for us. If you don't take that time right there, because you know it's wrong. Like, you feel it's wrong. It's made you uncomfortable. There's, it, fuck everybody else. Yeah. That's your opportunity. Right, that's your, that's your first opportunity right there. Yeah. That, that's the, right there, boom. The moment you feel it's uncomfortable and you feel it's wrong, say something. Because if you don't say anything, you, you're just like the person that just did it. Yeah. You just looked at it and you let it keep it. It's almost like when you see a crime being committed, you don't like it's actually being committed in front of you. Not like you showed up late to the crime, but you're watching this happen. You're watching a dude kick this chick's face in. And you're just like, oh, my God, this is wrong. And you don't do anything about it. You don't try to stop them. And I know people are like, oh, man, you got to mind your business. Oh, man, that she might have deserved that. Like, no, 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 wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We just talking about being human right now. Like, you see a guy abusing his girl, his lady, and you do nothing. And it's troubling you. It actually troubles you. It upsets your spirit. And you just watch it happen. You're no different than the guy that was abusing him. Yeah. You just yeah. let it happen. You're an, you accomp- didn't, you're an accomplice. You didn't intervene. It's a quote by Edmund, uh, what was his name? Uh, Edmund Burke. The only way evil triumphs is if good men uh, stand aside and do nothing. Yeah. That's it. Oh, like, like what we're doing right now, like we talked about before, we having a conversation. The conversation is breaking down barriers, is breaking down walls. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's 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 just it's so we got so much shit in our minds, so much shit in our head, so much so many things that are funneled to us through media, through social media, yeah. through TV. It's so many things that are funneled to us, so many distractions that now, like you said, now it's like, okay, well, do I do this or do it? It makes us hesitant because now we're thinking all these things, but we're unsettled. Well, why the hell are we unsettled? The unsettlement comes from the real. The real is here. Yeah. The real is here inside. You know, that dynamic, that the dynamic spirit. That's where the real is at. When you get unsettled, it's because it's some other shit making you. So you got to decipher, okay, that's, is this bullshit or is this how I should I really think? You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. Yeah. 
it's right here. That's what you got to go with your gut, your feeling. Yeah. See, I, I you got to go, go, you got to go with what's inside of here. And I, I know I'm not the only one that has felt that way, you know? Right. Like, well, you've been in that compromising position. But until, until people have this conversation, right. You know, it's just going to go under the rug. So like, you know, I, I'm glad I have the opportunity to ask these questions and, you know, fucking learn, you and, know? And, and, you know, it's just like, you ever been in class, like as a kid in school and shit, and you got that one kid that's always asking fucking questions, and everybody's like, oh, dude, why the fuck are you asking these questions? Like, oh, you know, I just want to get, get through the I shit. Get it. You know what I mean? I get it at work, too. Well, this guy's always asking fucking questions. Jesus, he's so stupid, we, we man. Ju- we just want to get the fuck out of here. We just want to get the fuck out of here. Shut the fuck up so we can go. Wait a minute. Hold on. This motherfucker asked the question. He's unsure. Yeah. Why wh- Why are you bashing him up now? Hey, oh, it's an annoyance. Is this, that, no. I just want to get back to work. I just want to get back to work. Nobody wants to get back to work, motherfucker. Right. No, 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 no. No. Like, why stay ignorant? Why stay exactly? Ignorant? Why exactly. stay exactly? Exactly. What What did I tell you when we had the race relations episode? Yeah. Who am I? Who am I? I'm your average ignorant white guy, and that's why I want to have these conversations. Yeah. I don't know, so I want to find the answers. I want to learn. I want to, you know, shit. I I want to help myself. If I help anybody else, great. Right. But at least I know. I'm trying to make myself better, and hopefully, in the process. I might be making one or two other people better as well. Exactly. So, so when you do have the conversation and then you don't have to feel like, oh, wait a minute. Should I say something? Because coffee's not here. 12 and 20's not here. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, shit. Daryl's not here. You know what? Uh, they're not like that. Yeah. Like I. And it's fucked. <laughs> it's fucked. Up. I, I often wonder, like, how it is when you're not ignorant and you're amongst maybe like a group of friends and you're white and you get a bigot in the room and they get to like spouting off like some some wild, like stereotypical bullshit and saying some, you know, they're being they're trying to be funny, but it's at the expense of, you know, a particular race. Yeah. And they've they've got relationships and they're not of that mindset at all. I wonder how awkward that is. Like, because it is, it is pressure on you to be at that point. Okay. Right now, if I say something, I'm going to be an outlier in the room. I'll tell you right now, it's very fucking awkward. It, I, it, it, I know, I know that shit is awkward as hell. Yeah. I know that shit is awkward as hell. That's, I mean, shit, dude. <laughs> shit, I'll tell you right now, last week, last week, I know it's awkward, man. You know, it's, it's it's it it's a fucking weird spot to be in that's for sure because like i don't know you see the memes you're like oh man don't handle but if if i'm if i'm your friend you're not gonna let anybody talk shit about me when you're around them you know what i'm saying like hey no 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 no, none of that you know i mean hey nah you gonna have that opinion you keep that opinion to yourself yeah. You know, yeah. Like, like you're not you're gonna do that if that's your friend. Like, listen to me. You might have a problem with him. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but I'm not gonna sit here and let you talk shit about my friend because you know them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Race is a little bit different. Yeah. Well, that's I mean race you know, like, is a little bit different. Like I said, last week, you know, that 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 situation in a group chat, you know, it's just like, damn, dude, like 
I fucking love you, but like shit, man, like the shit you're saying is is wrong. Whether it's whether it's supposed to be funny or coming from the heart, you know, it it's wrong. But you know, again, like exactly what you said, it's that goddamn. Like if I say something right now, like I'm gonna be the bad guy. But I mean, shit. I you know, like you said, deep down, like. When, no, when you, you're you're not being the bad guy. You're being the good guy in that right. situation. When, when you're unsettled, just, I, I tell I try to tell people that when you're unsettled, just remember that means your spirit, your spirit is showing up. Yeah, it's it's talking to you. Yeah, your spirit's talking to you. Go with that shit. Go with what. Go with the side that's got you saying this is wrong. Yeah. That's the right decision to go with the side that's saying this is wrong. Yeah. This shit is wrong. Yeah. This shit is wrong. I've been in that position before. Not on a, I mean, not on a racial side. Well, I've been in that position on, on, on a racial side, but, but just like I was, I was at the star Plaza, uh, uh, new year's Eve and a fight broke out in the hotel lobby and we're all sitting down. I'm like, Oh man, this shit is crazy. And I'm seeing and this chick is watching her boyfriend get jacked. And this guy is getting what they what do they say? Taken to the woodshed. I always thought that was <laughs> I think that's a funny yeah. saying. Taken to the woodshed. He was getting taken to the woodshed. And she jumped in. And that guy turned on her. And he starts. He got off maybe like two or three hits. Closed fist. Immediately. The first one, I was like, oh, shit. The second one, I, like, all of a sudden, something, I just felt something unsettled. This is, I don't know who the fuck these people are. Yeah. All I knew was that guy started hitting that chick, and they were white. I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. All I knew was I saw a woman getting hit by that guy. Security was calling up, and I just, my, my first reaction, I just took off. Like, this shit is wrong, man. I just took off after the guy. And all of a sudden... My friends that grab me, yo, yo, what you doing? You trying to get arrested? Fuck them. Fuck that bitch. This, I'm like, yo, no, fuck that shit is wrong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that ain't none of your business. Fuck that. Let them deal with that. Wait a minute. Hold the fuck up. That shit is wrong. Immediately in my head was like, no, this is wrong. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not getting ready to watch. I'm not getting ready to stand by here and watch this dude do this shit. Yeah, it was their business. But for me, it was unsettling to me. And then some people like, oh, well, you know, that's how you... You, you find yourself precarious situations. You you going to make a matter worse for yourself. You know, you just need to mind your business and this, that, and other. Yeah, but I'm not built that way. It's a, f- a few weeks ago. I'm not built that way. A few weeks ago, I seen this viral, a viral post pop up on Facebook, and it was a beach scene, and this dude got clean, knocked the fuck out. And he was like, it was after the punch was thrown. He was halfway to the ground. Perfect picture. Crowd all around. And I read this story and it was a long fucking story. And basically it was uh, a black dude that was hitting on a black girl. And she said, no, I got a man. And she pointed over to this dude and it was this white guy. And he's like, ah, you know, don't worry about him. You know, this and that. And, um, you know, so he keeps talking to her and he's got his back to him. And all of a sudden he hears this, you know, big, deep voice he thought it was a black dude talking to him he's like get you know get off my girl you know whatever and um i love the way that he put it he said next thing i know i'm getting read a bedtime story 
and he's getting laid the fuck out. Yeah. But like, I give this dude mad fucking props because he actually had the balls to fucking write out or type out the entire story of what happened and like what got him to this situation of like, I disrespected this dude's girl. It was your fault. I, I didn't think this, this white boy was going to do anything. And next thing I know, I'm getting knocked the fuck out. Well, well, and, and he's he, like, and, and by the end of it, he's like, you know what? I was fucking wrong. And motherfucking right. You know, and you got, and you got what was coming to you. Yeah. But yeah, what was like, coming to you? I mean, just, just the level of respect that I got for this dude. Like I looked him up and I was going to send him a message and I never did, which now I, I'll never remember the dude's name, but you know, along the same lines, like just to, you know, see if he wants to fucking have a conversation or some shit, you know, and, and, and talk to him about, about what happened, you and, know, cause, you know, it's, it's that, that bravado shit. Yeah. That, 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 that superiority. And, oh man, fuck this motherfucker. Yeah. He don't know what he doing with that. Yeah, I mean, we we as men, we'll say that shit. It don't even oh, matter yeah. race. We'll, we'll we'll say that shit. It don't even matter the race. We'll see a guy with a girl. I've seen white guys do it. Man, that guy doesn't know what he's doing with that. Yeah, you know, if it was me, ah, that, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like he got her. He's got her for for whatever reason. She's with him tonight. Yeah, and, and you you like when you see a guy and a girl walk in a bar together. You automatically assume that they're together. You, they yeah. might be cousins. They might be brother and sister. You know, they just might be fucking friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you automatically assume that. That's general. I mean, that's that's what happened. So if you could, if you, if you know this, that could be the, the high probability that they are there together. Yeah. I mean, you could take a chance. You could be curiosity. You know, what I mean? like, oh, excuse me, is this you? I mean the proper way to do it is with that guy not being around, you approach her and be like, oh, excuse me, this, that, no, and just address it. Is that your, okay, all right, well, you know, no disrespect. Yeah. Apologies. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know. I figured I thought I, you were beautiful enough or you intriguing enough for me to ask. So I, I had to, I had to ask, you know, but okay, you make a lovely couple, enjoy y'all night. Yeah. And keep it moving. Yeah. Well, that's not what we do. We be no. like, oh man, this motherfucker, he ain't, no, he ain't doing nothing. It's like, well, and, like, the, like the old stories yeah. about, uh, you know, like, like the the lipstick lesbians walk into the bar and oh yeah I I could change her yeah like, uh, yeah yeah that 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 yeah. bullshit yeah that male she, chauvinistic shit yeah, yeah. Uh, oh she love me she come over here like dude yo I, I I love it uh, Henry Rollins talked about it in one of his uh, one of his uh, uh, spoken word albums it's like you know and he talks about that it's like oh yeah you, you know it, his buddy's like oh yeah I I could change her she just hasn't had the right dick yet you know yeah, blah blah blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like. Dude, how fucking uncomfortable would you be if some dude came up and you know wanted to buy you a drink? And like, oh, I'm sorry, that's you know that's not my thing. Like, oh, I could change you. I'm tell you like, what. How unsure of your sexuality would you be in it, that moment? It was 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 really fucked up. Is what he doesn't understand is is that there are lesbians out here that are mad aggressive, and if you don't think for one second they won't take your girl, they absolutely fucking yeah. will. Yeah, in a goddamn heartbeat. Yeah, like I tell guys all the time, like y'all, you 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 sure yourself as a man? You think you really sure yourself? Oh man, yeah. You know, I ain't worried about it, man. Ain't no guy can come get my girl. All right, what about another girl? Yeah, what would that do to you? Imagine, yeah. imagine your girl leaving you for another one. That's 
That's like that's that's like Ross from Friends. Yeah. In real life, <laughs> Ross from Friends is fucked up. It, it, well, I'm serious. I, well, In I, real I, life, Ross from Friends is fucked up. Imagine how what that would do to your psyche. Now, if this isn't a fucking stereotype pressure, I don't know what is. <laughs> I got Coffee Black sitting here referencing fucking Friends episodes. You know, me. baby, Friends. I love that shit, man. I own like six T-shirts. I support the shit out there, show man. I I, I, I catch flack on the racial tip. I catch flack all the time. Boy. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch it for the life of me for the longest fucking time. And then, um, you know, a, a great friend of mine, you know, my my friend's fiance, uh, you know, she was an avid fan and. Like, you know, we, we lived together and, uh, you know, she would always watch friends and I'd be sitting there reading my fucking Harry Potter book or some shit. And, right. uh, I'd start laughing while she's, while she's watching friends. And finally I was like, all right, give me the first disc of the first season. I'll try it out. Yeah. And, uh, lo and behold, I watched the first disc of the first season. It's like, all right, give me the series. Yeah, yeah. You know, ended up watching a whole fucking series, getting hooked on that shit. It's but, good shit. Yeah. Is is it? Look, man. I get. I look. I don't care. I don't care. Like, and I, I remember being a, you know, a kid. My cousin, uh, uh, she would watch Friends. I, used, I, I never really paid attention. Now, at the time, you got to remember, Friends was on at the same time Ellen had her show on, the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yeah. They, those were both on at the same time, right? And I just remember, I was like, man, friends, this shit is corny. <laughs> but I was young as shit. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what the fuck. A lot of older sitcoms, you didn't know what you were watching. Like, as, as a really, really young kid. Yeah. You know, the adult shit, you know, we weren't getting the jokes. I, I didn't understand what I was watching. Like watching MASH as a kid. Right, right. Like watching MASH as a kid. Like, yep. that shit scarred me. I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. I never watched <laughs> MASH now. <laughs> Like I, I and and now it's like man, you know what? Maybe one day I'll give Mash. If I can give Game of Thrones a chance, maybe I give Mash a chance. Yeah. Maybe I give a season of Mash a chance just to see what the hell all the fuss, the hype was about. But remember during the time that Mash was on, right after the war, you know what I mean? It was it was it was a lot generating to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, like Cheers and shit, like Seinfeld. Like a lot of black people don't like Seinfeld. They don't understand that. Yeah. The show, yeah, I'm not, I, and I'm not saying all, but I'm saying it's it's a vast majority of black people. People like Seinfeld. That shit was corny. Seinfeld is fucking hilarious. That show, you can just you can just about equate every situation in life you've ever been through, black, white, whatever, to Seinfeld. And that's that's another show that as a brilliantly kid, written show. As a kid, I didn't get it. And yeah, as a kid, I didn't get and it. But it wasn't you wasn't it wasn't written for you exactly. It wasn't written exactly. for us exactly. It, 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 it by us. I mean, it wasn't written for that that age range. Yeah, that generation. That generation wasn't written for us. Like the Office. I love the Office. I think I can say the Office is probably one of the top five sitcoms, comedic sitcoms ever made. Yeah, and I can argue that. And I, and I can I like you. Somebody find a list. Some exec that's listening to this, you. I, I dare anybody that's listening to this show to come up with a list of the five top sitcoms ever, comedic sitcoms ever. And I guarantee you, I'll just come with The Office. I'll put your five <laughs> against the, my one, The Office, and I can beat you per episode. 
we can go episode for episode. I don't give a shit how long that show was on. That's how great that show was. But that show couldn't be produced now. Yeah. Because of censorship and, and, and you know, no, well, I mean, just the culture around everything now is tight. And you can't say this. Out, you can't outrage say that. culture. Yeah, out, that, outrage yeah. culture. You can't say that. You yeah. can't do this. You can't do that. It's a lot of shit, man, that went on on TV back. And we, and it's funny, I never thought we would be the generation to be able to say there was shit that was produced that couldn't be produced now. Yeah, no shit. For us. No shit. Because I remember back in the day, like, you know, motherfuckers on Johnny Carson was smoking. Well, that. And well, you can't smoke now. You can't smoke now on TV. But well, I think it'd be so dope or, if you could. Or even going back as far to say, like, uh, you know, married couple can't sleep in the same bed that, on a right, sitcom. Right. I you love know? Lucy. Yeah. And and now, it's like, now they fucking it. yeah. Well, but now it's almost getting to that point. It's like, oh no, we can't show that. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, I mean, we're we're just regressing so se- so far. Sex scenes, man. I remember, I remember NYPD Blue, like when it would come on, <laughs> like it would have that parental advisory sign, and it be and it would be like brief nudity. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, man, I gotta see this nudity. <laughs> no, 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 no. See the the only like, nudity on Channel Seven. The only scene I have ever seen from NYPD Blue. The TV was on. NYPD Blue was on. I looked, and it was the fat dude with the mustache in the shower. I was like, nope, never fucking watching this again. <laughs> see, see this dude's ass. Like, no, right. I, I don't want to fucking see that. Never watch but, another fucking scene. Of NYPD Blue. It, but now, sex is not at nine o'clock. It's not at ten o'clock. It's on it's national on, television. It's on, it's on demand. And it's, and it's right. And it's right there. Like, your kids go to bed at 8 o'clock. Guess what? At 7 o'clock, it's a high probability they can see a sex scene. Yeah. High but, probability but they can far, see a sex scene. As far scene. as, like, regressing, like, you know, the, the, seven word, now, the seven words you can't say on television. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now you can say just about anything on television. You, you could say all the swears you want on television, but anything else is off limits it, like and, and it's shit is crazy you know it's crazy it's it, 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 again i tell look man you gotta know your history you gotta know your history lenny bruce went to jail i'm gonna keep on saying this shit because when i found that shit out i was blown away he went to jail for profanity yeah as a comic yeah that motherfucker did not die He's rolling over in his grave right now to see some of these great comics say, oh, I'm quitting. I'm not doing stand-up no more because you can't say shit. Yeah. Everybody's too fucking sensitive. You can't yeah. say, the fuck are you talking about, man? This motherfucker went to jail. Yeah. He couldn't finish his set. He went to jail, and he kept on doing that shit yeah. until he broke it down. So now we got all these, these so-called gatekeepers of comedy and shit and now the gatekeepers, are, which, I mean, every every culture needs, you know, but now you got motherfuckers, oh, well, you can't talk about this, you can't talk about, oh, if you talk about sex, you got to talk about it this way. You got to talk about, the, oh, well, we're not going to let you uh, gentrify anybody. We're not going to let you, wait, hold on, motherfucker, this shit is jokes. Yeah. The jokes ain't for everybody. We're, we're supposed to walk the line. The, the, that's that's the comics that's the no, comics not, job not, not not even walk the line no, dance, no. dance on the line it, it, stomp on that motherfucker exactly you're yeah i'm gonna you're gonna probably see a comic tonight that's gonna say some shit that offends you exactly. guess what keep your fucking inhibitions at the door yeah right 
Like we're not talking about Michael Richards screaming nigga at, at a couple in the crowd and you know what I'm saying? Like losing his shit. That's not what we talking about. We talking about actual jokes, actual set set. Like some people just aren't fucking funny. They yeah. can't deliver what they they can't deliver it. They can't put it together and get the shit across. Right? They just can't fucking do it. And some people can't. Yeah. Guess what? You shouldn't be fucking offended by it because you came here to laugh. Either you're going to laugh or they make you laugh. That's the comic's responsibility to deliver the shit. And make it. It's your responsibility to sit down, shut the fuck up, keep your mind open, and be easy going and prepare to laugh. Yeah. And if they make you laugh, great. If they don't, great. If they're interesting, cool. I've been to a lot of shows. I've seen a lot of comics that I didn't laugh at, but I'm fans of because they're incredibly interesting. Yeah. Their mindset is incredibly interesting and they're funny. Just because you're not going to make people fall out they they seats every night. Yeah. But like Chappelle told Will Smith recently, hey, all you got to do is be interested. Give them a the moment. Give them something to remember you by. Yeah. If you're interested, it's, the whole point of it is entertainment. Entertain them. Keep their attention. If you keep their attention, that's you've done your job. Yeah, especially this day and age. Especially in this day and age, because motherfuckers' attention spans is short. Yeah. As fuck. Yeah. Short as shit. Incredibly short. To quote basketball, you know, now attention spans can be quoted or uh, measured in nanoseconds. Yeah. You know, and that's it. It's sad. And that shit, dude, basketball was what, fucking 20 years ago? Man, it's crazy how long that shit was. Yeah. That shit was a long time yeah. ago. God damn. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, this is great. Oh, man. I haven't been in front of a mic in a while, man. No? I haven't. Sh- I've been. Well, I, I, All I, right. So so what's been going on in Coffee Black's world? Uh, let's see. What's been going on? Um, So I, I shot another pilot. Uh, Well, we shot a pilot for a, a series. Um, We're trying to get off the ground. Uh. Uh, Dorian Johnson, uh, director and uh, produced, uh, called New Tides, uh, out of Chicago. It's, um, I guess it, it's just a suspense, um, mob crime drama. It, I guess you could equate it to, uh, The Sopranos meets The Wire. Yeah. In a sense. You know what I mean? Um, uh, about, about mob ties. Like the Chicago mob. Um, back in the day, you know, it was, it was all based as, as we said tonight, talked about race, you know, the Italians rock with Italians, black, blacks, you know what I'm saying? And therefore yeah. the Jews, therefore this, that, another, you know, how I went down to Al Capone days, but you know, it's just, it was the families, you know what I'm saying? And your own, your own kind. Yeah. And, uh, so with this series, uh, how they created it, it was dope. It was like, you take three friends that grew up in this time and you know um because of of you know the law cracking down the streets changing uh you know the world changing they grew up together and um they have a loyalty and a bond you know beyond race and uh but their family ties you know, is what that's the, I guess the family ties um, and the way of the old days is 
you know, gone is gone. You know what I mean? To them, it's gone. But to the, you know, their families, the older guys, you know, that's like you guys are doing this wrong. You know what I'm saying? Why are you running with this guy? Why are you over here with this motherfucker? Why are you over here with him? Oh, you guys are friends. Fuck y'all. Like, like, no, you know what I'm saying? So it's called new ties or whatever. And basically it's loyalty over blood, yeah. you know? And, and so, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting series. Um, you know, it takes with a series, man, anytime you got a show in, in anything, it, podcasting, media, whatever it takes, you got to give it some legs to grow. Yeah. You got to have the ability to get growth. And, um, so we shot the pilot. Um, it was dope. A lot of great actors in it, incredible actors. Uh, and we don't have a release date yet. Still being edited, still doing this, that, and other. So I was doing that shit. Uh, it was cool to be in front of the camera again because it's just different, different for me. Like yeah. I, I never, not to say I didn't want to act, but it, it, it was, you know, it's like a dream. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to quantify like, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm acting. Yeah. So, I mean, speak, speaking of that, uh, I still haven't seen it. Uh, I need to know where to find it. Anybody else needs to know where to find it. Uh, what's going on with Disconnected? How's that been doing? Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, Disconnected. It, uh, it's, it's still being pumped. Uh, it's on DVD. Um, uh, you can find it uh, at Killing the Arts. Uh, you can order it on Killing the Arts uh uh, social media site uh, on Facebook. Follow uh, Killing the Arts Facebook page. Disconnected, uh, and um, you can contact Dorian Johnson and uh, uh, the producer uh, Tyrell. They'll get it out to you. They'll definitely get it out to you. Uh, that I mean, that's something that's being put out there, and you know, whatever happens with it, happens with it. It was it was a dope uh, experience to do. Uh, that shit was dope. But I, I I haven't been on stage. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been on stage. Been going through a lot, man. I got a lot of dark shit going on. Yeah, I got a lot of dark shit going. That's 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 a tale of another it, <laughs> of a, of another day. Is is that going to fuel anything on stage or no? Oh uh, yeah, yeah it is. Yes, yes it is. Um, when you going like you got that period. It's funny. I think everybody's been going through it too. Uh, I think a lot of people been going through it. Uh, something weird that's been going on in the culture. It's just like, you know, you got these other outside forces like affecting the craft. When you're an artist, man, you're just weird. Yeah, <laughs> comics are weird that way. But it, like, in, in the period I'm in right now, you know, you you questioning a lot. I'm questioning what the hell I'm doing. What? Why the fuck am I doing this shit? What? What, what yeah. am I attempting to do? How am I? How am I gonna break the barrier? And being a comic is. You had those moments where you, I, I think every great comic, not saying can say myself, I'm a great comic at all. By no means, or amongst the greats, I aspire to be one of the greats. Yeah. But I've, I've after studying the greats and, and people I idolize, like all of them have this. They all got this period where they they question themselves, yeah. And question what are they doing, and you know, and you got all this, God forbid, but you got all this other shit happening surrounding your life, and you know the dedication that it takes to the craft. You know, like Daryl was saying, like, yo, I'm not a, I didn't 
He wasn't a savant at five years old. He didn't come out the womb with a talent. It took is that ten thousand hour rule. Yeah, you got to put those ten thousand hours in, and when you got shit affecting you being able to put the actual work in, you know what I mean? It kind of gets the fucking with you. Yeah. So I got some shit going on that's uh, fucking with me. Well, <laughs> I hope it all works out for the best, man. <laughs> I got some shit. And I'm being like, I know I'm being like, oh, what's this? He's, he's not answering the question. Being coy. Ah, <laughs> I, I think you answered the question pretty early on, man. I, I asked if it was going to be. Uh, oh, it's coming. In, influencing on stage. And you oh, said, yeah. yes. It's, so. it, yeah, it, it, no, it's coming. I, I, I believe it's coming. Yeah, I, I, like cause that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I believe it's coming. I'm, it, it's that faith is not even of a mustard seed. It's yeah. like it's smaller than that. But it, it's a big. It's a, all. All you need is a little bit of light, man. So I, I got a little bit of faith that it's coming. Yeah, and uh, it's gonna be special when it happens. I know. I, I know it because I feel it. Yeah, I get the flashes and I feel it. So, you know, it's just it's just getting back getting back settled down, getting to the pen and the pad and, 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 and having those moments when, when you get them and capture them and, you know, getting out there and hitting that pavement again and hitting it hard because it's, uh, man, when you really want to do some shit, like you, you got some, your, your mind is just steadfast on and then you've been out there and you do it and it's like, oh man, that's great. And then you almost lose it. Or you do lose it, and you're like, God damn, I forgot I was doing that. How the fuck was I doing it? Like, it's been a lot of times in the past, uh, is it, it's April? Yeah. May, June. So, and it's been a lot of times in the past almost 10 months where I've been questioning myself, like, God damn, how was I doing that? Like, I'll go back and I'll watch old tape of myself, and I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? No. It's almost like a whole nother individual. Like, oh my God, I don't even know if I can do that anymore. It's like an athlete. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, old athletes, they be like, oh yeah, man. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out of retirement. I'm gonna come out of retirement and do it. Like I even did anything to be fucking retired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't even I haven't even grazed the surface. It's that it's that hard sophomore year, man. Like, you know, that it, not that it is my sophomore year, but it's that, you know, that time, like, okay, you got a freshman, you could you do your thing and then you gotta hit the bumps you know now it's the, the the life test that i'm going through now yeah you know what i mean so it's all about uh perseverance and enduring i'm in this this enduring phase right now where you know i've got to endure you know some darkness some pain but that's where the funny is yeah you know what i mean like that that dark night of the soul shit oh yeah that's that's where the funny is you know welcoming the pain I I had this juggle because I'm in therapy, man. I, I'll talk about mental health. Is we got to do a show on mental health? Well, that's uh, I mean, we got to do a show on mental health. That's some as, serious as, shit. As far as I know, I don't have uh, too uh, too much to share on that. Um, I definitely know people that that can. Yeah, you know that, that that's some shit, man. And hey, I'm I'm always willing to talk about anything. That, that's so. some serious shit going on that, that like if you pay attention now it's it's one of those things that is that's being talked about and there's getting it's, more light shed on it it is but it's still but not it's still being not, taken serious but it's not taken serious yeah that shit ain't taken it's, serious you know like like maybe it's it, it 
the the serious the seriousness level right now is at that mustard seed. Yeah, it's at that mustard seed. Like, okay, we know what it is, but we just don't want to admit it. It's still a still a grain of sand. Yeah, it's it's not. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah, it's the everybody knows it exists. Everybody knows it's there, and it's this huge fucking monstrosity of a thing that nobody wants to talk about. But it's off to the side, so. Yeah, we know it's there. Yeah, we know it exists, but we not we not going to address it though. We're not, and then when somebody does address it, it's all oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw coffee with the elephant. Yeah, yeah, coffee was in the studio with the elephant the other day. I was wondering what the fuck he was doing with the elephant, but I didn't say anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then and then the elephant crushes because it only gets spoken. You know what happens with mental health? It don't. It only gets talked about. When something happens. After, after the shooting. After the shooting. After, you know, not taking it too dark, but after the shooting, after somebody gets hurt, after, you know, somebody hurts themselves, yeah. after some serious shit happens, then it's like, you know what? I noticed something. Yeah. And I was going to say something about it, but yeah. I didn't. That, that, <laughs> that, go, that goes back to our earlier conversation, man. So. Oh, man, this was dope. Yeah, it was, know. dude. Like we didn't even talk about. Uh, you know what? We didn't. You know what? He said he didn't drink. We didn't ask him if he smokes cigars. He does not. He doesn't. He, smoke does, he does not. So he's uh, he's not a smoker. Uh, tonight I learned he's not a drinker because that's I I offered to send him some cigars and uh, he he doesn't smoke. So uh, Man, that guy's got good vices though. He, when you're doing all what you're doing, you you live abroad for twenty some odd years and you travel. And you, you, you know, he's got the music. When, he's got his vice. When, when your vice is trying to make the world a better, better place, place that's a pretty good fucking vice. Yeah, no shit. It's way better than cancer. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's so. way better than trying to achieve cancer. All right, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming by and uh, so dope. joining in on the conversation with Daryl. Oh, and, that was uh, great. Thanks know, for having me. Again, reflecting man. afterwards has been awesome. So, um. Until next time, man. I, I appreciate it. I hope everything's going well or, or gets gets to going well. Oh yeah. And um, you know, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get together again soon. Love a herf cast, man. Talk right. to y'all later. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. That was Daryl Davis and then Coffee Black. And I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned something. I hope you, you know, gained some knowledge, uh, really. And, you know, I I, I really enjoyed this. I can't wait till we could do it again. And, you know, I can, I can learn some more. So, again, please let me know what you think of it. Send me an email, brian at theherfcast.com. And check out the website, theherfcast.com. Uh, I've got shirts. You can go to the Patreon. And don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review on whatever platform you're using. And, again, just let me know what you think. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, how I love thee, Mike. <laughs>